This is Unfiltered, episode 239 for June 8th, 2017. Uh, I don't know where this is uh, going to go. Um, the, the president did not have a good day, and his um, uh, lawyer, whom I know and who's a very, very fine lawyer, in my view, did not adequately, in, in three minutes, rebut what Jim Comey took three hours to convey to the country. That, that impression that he conveyed is still out there. Yes, here we are on a very momentous day here in the Pacific Northwest. It is not a Wednesday as we record this. It is a Thursday. And Chris, I, I, I think what we need to do right here at the top of the show, I know you have the sound bumper ready for breaking news or the Situation Room or all of them all put together because because today, today. Oh, you're, is that your, okay. There we go. Thank you. This Today. is Breaking News. <laughs> and I'm Chris, and that's Breaking News. There we uh, go. This See, is Breaking News. Yeah. Because today we day. have a, this is the it's day. It's Comey Day. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah, it's Comey Day. I thought it was just two days before the Northwest Pinball Show down in Tacoma. I, nope, nope. Uh, it's Comey Day. We delayed the show. Everybody's like, where are you guys? And we put a poll out to our patrons, and we decided. Over, uh, by the way, overwhelmingly, like 90% of our patrons said, yes, please, go ahead. That's totally cool. Yeah, uh, and we just didn't want to have like this big gaping awkward hole in our show. Uh, but I'll tell you what, every day this week, there's been a story that could have been the entire show. So <laughs> we're going to talk about that NSA leak that ended up on The Intercept and Reality Winner. Then we're going to be talking about... Who won? Reality. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Russia and Megyn Kelly's interview. Then we'll get to Kami's testimony. We'll try to get to the London Bridge attack, wrap it all up on a high note. Oh, don't forget UK elections today yeah. as well. Yeah, I know, I know. And Theresa May lost a few seats. Remember how we said we need to make this a twice-a-week show? Yeah. Well, we're going to get there. I think we'll get to that goal someday. Maybe. maybe. I think we will. So let's start with the cyber this week. We're going to be moving pretty quick because there's so much to cover. So much. And uh, we're not going to – like I said, we would have we could have dedicated an entire episode to any one of these topics. But here's what you need to know about this uh, reality winner leak from the NSA. ASL. For months, President Trump has been calling for a crackdown on leaks of classified information. Now, for the first time since Mr. Trump took office, an alleged leaker faces criminal charges. Isn't it you think it's interesting that we're 10 seconds into CBS's coverage and they've made it all about Trump? It really has nothing to do with Trump. No. But the entire setup so far has been about Trump. Well, I guess you can extend it to Trump because of the whole Russia investigation and the yeah, this is, I just feels this feels like the same crap they did during the election. The Justice Department says Reality Lee Winner confessed to giving a top secret report to a news website. Winner faces charges under the Espionage Act. A news website, one of the most relevant of our time news websites, The Intercept, who's still publishing Snowden leaks. They've published other big revelations recently. They have major journalists like Glenn Greenwald and Jeremy Scahill working for them. But, you know, a website. Right. The president complained in February that the FBI could not stop what he called low-life leakers. Of course, Donald Trump in these tweets was talking about people leaking information about his administration. Right, from within the cabinet. Right. He demanded action again one month later. And he repeated in May, find the leakers. About one hour before Reality Lee winner was charged, a leaked NSA report was revealed online. How about that timing? 
How about that timing? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? And it suggests that Russian intelligence tried to break into U.S. electronic voting systems just days before the November election. All right, so let's stop here and uh, let's switch to another report who gives you a little more information. Tonight, this unassuming-looking 25-year-old is behind bars in Georgia, the main suspect in a federal leak investigation that the Department of Justice calls a threat to national security. Reality Lee Winner, an Air Force veteran who worked as a government contractor, is accused of removing classified material from a government facility and mailing it to a news outlet. The government says Winner, who had a top-secret security clearance, leaked this secret NSA report about a Russian military cyber attack on a U.S. voting software company days before the election. The document was first published by The Intercept. Tonight, as Winner faces charges that could land her in prison for 10 years, those who know her are trying to figure out why she did what she allegedly did. So she also goes by Sarah Winner online, and Sarah Winner is, uh, guess what, an extremely vocal Bernie Sanders supporter. Ah, wait for the connection. In fact, the the night that Trump was elected, she said people suck. Uh, On her feed, she's also called Trump an orange fascist. Um, so that's a millennial, right? Yeah, yeah I guess <laughs> one of the millenniums. I'm gonna just paint them all in a corner. So this report that makes it over to the Intercept essentially outlines that uh, Russians were involved in uh, going after one particular voting company in Florida. In fact, in some ways, it it's pretty minor stuff. It 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 would seem to indicate that there was some uh, sleuthing going around by the Russians, but ironically. Just and I don't really know what the impact of this, but the irony of the entire thing is the company that the Russians hacked is famous for being a paper-only company. So I don't really know, like when you cyber hack a company whose their reputation is they they track everything by paper, so that way there can't be any hacks. I don't really know what the impact of that is, but it's it's an interesting little irony in this story. It's so the Russian it reveals Russian attempts. Uh, well, supposed Russian attempts, which are being tied back to intelligence agencies that work for the Russian government. So that's how they're making this connection. Uh, we're, 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 quote unquote, meddling with these systems. On Twitter, she appears to have followed Edward Snowden, WikiLeaks, and accounts linked to the group Anonymous. But she was also... That always gives me chills and, and, and it makes me have pause about who I follow. Oh, yeah. Because whenever they cover somebody like this after something has happened, uh, they if some if you're following Julian Assange and you're following Anonymous and you're following, say, Donald Trump and maybe you're following like some 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 really, you know, just out there account because you just like to see what they're posting or you're following it for maybe the purposes of unfilter. Uh, it, they'll characterize you as essentially being aligned with these individuals, even if you are not necessarily subscribing to their beliefs. You're just right. following them yep. because they're important Twitter accounts. Snowden, WikiLeaks, and accounts linked to the group Anonymous. But she was also a decorated airman in the U.S. Air Force. A commendation shown to CNN by Winner's mother says she provided valuable intelligence information and helped geolocate 120 enemy combatants. Her mother says she was a linguist in the Air Force, speaking Pashto, Farsi, and Dari. You really can't tell what her motivation is. The only thing we know is she wanted this material to be public. You can, you can kind of tell if you look at her Twitter feeds. Her motivation was that she's a Bernie Sanders supporter. Winner's mother tells CNN her daughter wasn't especially political and had never praised leakers like Snowden. On election night, as it became apparent Donald Trump was going to win, reality winner appears to have tweeted, quote, Well, people suck. 
hashtag election night. In February, <laughs> under the name Sarah Winners, she allegedly tweeted that President Trump was, quote, an orange fascist. There you go. That was wow. only about two days before Winner was hired by Pluribus International Corporation. Isn't that remarkable? So she gets hired as a security contractor, is given classified access, and just two days before she gets that job, she tweets that the president's an orange fascist. Like mm-hmm. they don't they don't check her public Twitter feed before they give her classified access. Oh well, I, I I thought social media was part of a general background check, but I guess not. A contractor providing analytics and engineering services to U.S. security agencies. These would raise questions, but they're just that, just questions. In the interview process, you have to satisfy yourself that the questions have viable answers. It's not like posting political messages exclude you from getting a top-secret clearance. It has to do with the nature and content of the messages. Investigators say Winner was caught because the document had been creased, indicating it had been printed and taken off the premises. Uh, let's stop here. So this is where this story starts to get a little bacony. Just yeah. A, so this is a controlled leak. In my in my mind, this was an intentional controlled leak, maybe to flush out uh, some, some people are disloyal, maybe to help correct some of what's been reported incorrectly in the media, m- maybe for reasons that I can't even comprehend sitting here in Podunk, Arlington, Washington. But to me, it seems like this was intentionally crafted. We're going to go through a few pieces here. So listen to some of this information. Because the document had been creased, indicating it had been printed and taken off the premises. When they traced the document back, investigators say it became evident only six people had printed it. So this was initially a document only given access to six people. So it's not like the Snowden-style thing where he dumped the whole intranet. Only six people originally had access. So it wasn't a big list. Including winner. And the government says only she had contact with the Intercept reporters. Oh, they looked at her email inbox. She was dumb enough. I mean, I'm sorry, but she was uh, dumb enough, right, okay. to be yeah. emailing back and forth and keep these emails. Tonight, experts tell us the NSA could have used an even more elaborate way of tracking the memo. Have you heard this theory? Uh, the well, dot theory? Yeah. And don't all printers do this? Well, yes, but I'll let it play and then we're, okay. this is, yeah. I'll tell you why it's such crap, dude. All right. Dots embedded in printouts. To the, the naked eye, the untrained eye, you wouldn't see this unless you magnified it or used blue light, and then the dots become a little bit easier to see. But um, if you invert the colors, if you take the negative of the colors, it becomes much more apparent that you have these little matrix of dots. And these matrix of dots actually encode information. They encode... This is well known. I mean, everybody knows this. The EFF has made a big deal about this. I, I find this to be such a bullshit explanation. This is, by the way, not part of... They're, they're making this part up. They're theorizing about this. The reason why I say it's bullshit is because it was a picture that they saw. They saw a picture of the documents, a cell phone picture of the documents where they saw it. There's no way the FBI, those dots exist, no doubt, because it's embedded in a lot of printers. But there's no way from a cell phone picture where the FBI saw, they, there's no way. There's no way they took a cell phone picture and saw those dots. Oh, no. No, I don't believe it's, that either. That's a crap explanation. It's a. It's all about they knew who leaked these documents because only six people could do it. And they saw her emails and they saw that she subscribed to the Intercept podcast, ironically. And the Unfiltered podcast. <laughs> but in some ways, I think these leaks helped Trump. We are learning more tonight about the story that we gave you last evening about the potential motive of a Georgia woman allegedly at the heart of a bombshell leak that confirms that Russia attacked our voting system or attempted to attack the voting system prior to the 2016 election. So we now know that this young lady, 25-year-old reality winner is her name, was apparently no fan of President right. Trump. Her- Can we stop for a moment? Is this the weirdest thing? First of yeah. all, you know what's weird about this? Yeah. Trump's, he likes to win. He likes to be a winner. 
All right. Let's just let's let's talk about the elephant in the room for a minute here and her name. Okay. That is her actual name, by the way. Isn't it interesting that What when, is wrong with her parents? I, or did she change her name? What happened here? I, I don't know. I don't I, I think maybe her name was originally Sarah, but she went with reality. I mean, if you're gonna have winner as your last name, you might as well up the game and go with something great like this. How about I would just go with Ima. Her social media accounts littered with expletive-ridden criticism of him, like this one, quote, I'm losing my mind. If you voted for this piece of, you can figure out the rest, explain this. He's lying. He's blatantly lying, and the second largest supply of fresh water in the country is now at risk. She might be an unfiltered listener, dude. <laughs> Hashtag no Dakota pipeline. Access pipeline. Never my president resist. Uh, she's a contractor. Ah, uh, resist. The she's a Hillary fan. Fox- that I. I uh, oh wait, no, no. We've we've already clarified. Well, that. I mean, that Hillary is trying to take the resist name and movement and 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 co-opt it, but originally it was like a Bernie yeah. supporter yeah, thing. It yeah, it was. Yeah. News senior judicial analyst, Judge Andrew Napolitano. The judge. Uh, judge, you know, starting just. Fresh off of that, I mean, she has every right to tweet whatever she wants. Right, right, right. It, it, it's probably inappropriate that somebody that has a national security clearance and who therefore works for the president, remember the NSA is in the military, she's a contractor for the military, expresses views like that, but she does have a constitutional right to do it. But I would argue that she actually helped the president by what she released. There you go. Because she released irrefutable proof that the NSA knew that the Russians attempted to affect the outcome of the election by planning cookies, you know, attractive links, in 122 city and county clerks around the country who are in the business of counting votes. And if any employees in one of those 122 offices clicked on the link, then the hacker would be able to manipulate uh, the outcome. President Obama denied that this happened. We now know that his NSA knew that it happened. You know what's you know what I wonder? I this is this is hundred percent bacon, but do you remember us playing clips slowly over a period of time? It might have been in the overtime only, but I think it was in the main show that the DHS got caught doing penetration testing yes. of state officials. Yep, and, and the states got pissed off. They're like, knock it off. We didn't ask for this. This sure feels a lot like that story. And yeah. I wonder if it goes something like this. The DHS contracts with the CIA to yeah. do some remote fishing around to see if the states notice. They use the tool set that they have to make it look like the Russians. And meanwhile, the NSA is sitting around watching the wire and sees this activity happen. We already know that's even that's entirely possible. So, yeah, totally. Hmm. President Putin, whom none of us really believe, denied that it happened. We now know that he was lying. Why, so, why did President Obama deny that it happened? Well, you, uh, who, who knows why President Obama said what he said? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who knows? All right, so we can't really spend much more time on it. But like I said, it's, a, it's an interesting story. I read the entire report. I read all of the leaked documents by Reality Winner. Um, and uh, I, I, one thing I just want to comment about this story is The Intercept – has essentially been tossing uh, a damp blanket on the Russia hacking narrative since the election started. Uh, Glenn Greenwald uh, has been a, pr- a pretty big critic saying that, uh, you know, really the Democrats are selling out to the uh, deep state and they're aligning themselves with the CIA simply just to bury Trump. And he's been pretty critical. And The Intercept's been critical. Uh, they've been publishing things that are counter narrative and they've been taking very reasoned stances on stuff. This is really the first time they've published something that says, yes, the Russians did have something to do with trying to influence the election. Right. It, not necessarily in connection with the Trump campaign yet, but they had something down here. And when the moment 
that The Intercept ran that story, it was everywhere. Like, all of the news outlets picked it up. Boom, boom, boom. Never before have they really done that with an an Intercept story. The Intercept has been around since Snowden leaks were a thing. Uh, And this was the first time they just ran with it. I mean, they really, as soon as there was a story, and that story went on Tech Meme, it went on Slashdot. I mean, it went on, like, even the tech site. It was on the top of Reddit. It was on all of the news sites. That, The Intercept has never seen traction like that before. And I would argue that they didn't properly protect their source. The NSA was on top of it. The FBI had all of the information they needed. Within an hour of publication, they had Reality Winner. This was the tightest operation they've ever had of getting a leaker. We have people leaking the contents of Trump's international diplomatic calls. And what was said when only five people are in a room, we have that information being leaked to the press. And we can't figure out who's leaking it. But the moment Reality Winner had had something published on The Intercept, had her snapped up, and she's in jail in no time. They sure can work quick sometimes, can't they? They can, if if everything's laid out in front of them. I want to just cover a little bit of uh, Megan's uh, discussion with Vladimir O-M-G-O-M-G. Putin. O-M-G-O-M-G. Oh, wait, so Megan's back on the air. She's back on the air. And she's she's uh, working for NBC. What's the name of her uh, nice show now? Do you know? It's like a magazine format show. Yeah, I can't it's remember. just like, like Sunday night. It, 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 I think that's what it's called, Sunday night. It's really kind of, when you see her on NBC, she just feels like... It's weird. One of the rank and file. It's really, anyways. But yeah. her, she made a big splash by interviewing Putin, oh, and uh, here's friend. her setup here. Good friend of the show, Jose. It was an eye-opening exchange with a defiant President Putin in Saint Petersburg today. He has denied Russian involvement in the hacking and interference with our U.S. presidential election for some time. That changed earlier this week, and the story appears to be evolving yet again. So there was a lot in this interview. Um, and we could, again, dedicate the whole damn show to it. But I thought this one particular question went well. Russian President Vladimir Putin now suggesting a toddler could have hacked our election. <laughs> he took questions while speaking at an economic forum in St. Petersburg, uh... Russia today and claimed the cyber attacks on the 2016 election couldn't have been very difficult. He said a three-year-old could have done it. He said Democrats are angry over losing to President Trump who he says ran a better campaign. The other team made a mistake, and they don't want to recognize this mistake right now. They don't want to say that they were not wise enough. It's easy to say it's not our fault. It's the Russians who interfered. Vladimir Putin, who has repeatedly denied that his government interfered in our election, yesterday he suggested, and I loved this, patriotic Russian citizens might have been behind the attacks. Remember when he invaded Crimea? Same line. Today, Putin. All- it's true. Yeah. You know, I will say, I think it's. I think you have uh, several. I think you have several Russian threads right now, and they easily. McCain did it today. We're going to get to this. They're easy to blur together accidentally. There is four distinct threads, and I'll outline them in further detail in the overtime. But this this is the fourth thread where there may. Ha- so I I I have held this entire time that it seems likely to me that any major nation that has the means and has the interest is likely going to influence our election either via the way Israel does it, via the way uh, that perhaps Germany might do it through different um, uh, political groups or action committees or by hiring publicists and, uh, and, and marketing people. Like There's so many different, so many different ways that all these different nations try to influence the election in the direction that will most likely create policy that benefits their nation. Right. And Russia seems like very likely if – I, if I were Putin – 
I there's no way in fucking hell I would have wanted Hillary in office. Right. Like it probably would have been a, a matter of national importance to make sure that she doesn't make it into office. And so it would not surprise me if at some level there was people screwing around. I don't believe it has necessarily anything to do with Trump. It doesn't have anything to do with the DNC's supposed hacking. I don't think it has anything to do with Michael Flynn. I think it is its own separate issue and likely where the fire actually is. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Totally. All right. Well, then, uh, I will just say this. The whole interview, there's so much we could play. I have another clip in the overtime I'm going to play. But if you have the supporter sync or if you use producer Matt's trick where you just put it on your phone so that you can pull files you want, go into our Russia and Syria segment folder and grab the NBC edited out Putin hard truce clip. It's 13 minutes of things that were edited out of the interview where he really lays it out there. I mean, he really says some good stuff and it was cut from the version that was aired here in the U.S. And I have – it's um, it's the other side of the translation, so it's a Russia source. So the, the trans, you have to wait on the reverse for the translation, so right. it's a little different. But, a little uh, – the English satellite delay. Right, but the, there was no Western version that didn't have those cuts. So right. this is, I think, that something the Russia state media put out to say like, well, here's all the other things that she asked him that they decided not to play, and it's, it's gold. I, again, I would have made a huge segment out of it if I could have, but we've got to get – to James Comey's testimony, the real meat of our show today. My good friend, Jim. Your, your good buddy, your good buddy, uh, who the night before his big testimony released his written statement. His opening statement. And it generated a lot of buzz. From the first of Jim Comey's nine one-on-one interactions with President Trump to the last, less than a month before his firing, testimony that lays out a story of loyalty pledges, potentially damning requests, and a president infuriated by the FBI director's refusal to say publicly he wasn't under investigation. During a phone call, he said it, and then during another phone call, he said it. So he said it once at dinner, and then he said it twice during phone calls. Did did you call him? Uh, In one case, I called him. In one case, he called me. And did you ask him, am I under investigation? I actually asked him, yes. I said, if it's possible, would you let me know? Am I under investigation? He said, you are not under investigation. So Jim Comey has all of these memos and uh, he's taken all of his memos and he's handed them over to investigators. But then they give them back to James Comey, who was out of town to stay out of the limelight. They give him back to James Comey. And from his memos that he wrote after every interaction with Donald Trump, he creates this master testimony. And um, it was published publicly. So I read the entire thing. It's only seven pages long, so it's not that hard to read. Double space. And um, it paints a very specific narrative, and it definitely reads as a narrative that benefits from hindsight. So things sort of just line up perfectly in timelines. There's things that don't don't quite read as solid to me, but it all, for the most part, to me, seems like an accurate portrayal of his interactions with Donald Trump. Comey describing an Oval Office meeting with Mr. Trump and other counterterrorism officials, where all but Comey were dismissed. I want to talk about Michael Flynn. I want to set the stage here. So they're there. Uh, Comey's first interaction with Donald Trump was a briefing about that uh, dossier where it supposedly he hired hookers. Right. And had them pissed that on. Was the, and that was leaked by Russia, right? Something like that. Yeah, well, actually, <laughs> it was a, it was it was a uh, it was it was somebody a former MIA agent who was hired specifically to do counterintelligence research against Donald Trump. And the way he was paid was the length, the longer the dossier, the more he got paid. So as time went on, and then he was hired, he was fired and hired again. 
he just started adding more stuff to the dossier, and he would start taking things that he could source from anybody. Is he saying was that leaked by Hillary? Was uh, are you asking seriously? Yeah, or are you joking? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it was passed around. Interestingly enough, it ended up in the hands of John McCain. John McCain then uh, brought it to James right, Comey. I remember? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it, it was passed around Washington D.C. for a while, uh, and so James Comey's first interaction with Donald Trump was when he was the president-elect, and he had to brief Donald Trump about this dossier. And James Comey fucking eviscerates this dossier in this – it just says it's shit, it's crap, it's, it, there is no basis in reality in this dossier. Wow. Yeah. I mean he doesn't say those words. Right. Yeah, but he, in summary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, it was this – but it's weird because it's, his first interaction is a meeting where he briefs him on this. He's briefing him about this, and then, and then Donald Trump thanks everybody and then says, I'd like to speak – to James Comey, alone. Dismissed. I want to talk about Michael Flynn. Comey quotes the president as saying, referring to his recently fired national security advisor. And and Jeff Sessions even lingered a little bit, right? Because Jeff Sessions is... It was Sessions and it was Eric, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They linger and Trump like has to double down on dismissing them to make sure that it's just the two of them in the room. I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go. To letting Flynn go. Comey says Trump told him, He's a good guy. This is the day after Flynn had been oh, Flynn had resigned. This memo does something else really positive for Donald Trump that I I think we should mention just really quickly. It, it, it once again resets the narrative about Michael Flynn, the the Russia conspiracy tinfoil hat narrative about the the case that's building against Trump Russia collusion is Michael Flynn. It's a, he's a key part. Michael Flynn was paid by Russian media to go to an event. He was close with the Russians. He didn't disclose it. It's a key part of this whole Russia conspiracy thing. And it's been getting a lot of momentum again. Michael Flynn, Michael Flynn, Michael Flynn. And this memo once again resets the narrative here that Michael Flynn was not fired because of the Russia investigation or because of his links to Russia, which is what their narrative once has again become. He was fired because he misled the vice president. And this is stated several times in the memo via quotes of Donald Trump in conversations that Donald Trump had with uh, Comey over several of his memos. And it, I think, is a very positive thing for Trump overall because that, is a, that seems like a very damning fact that he had to be fired because of this Russia, Russia investigation and the Trump team took 18 I, days to do it when in reality he was fired because he misled I, the I vice just, president. I just think that the president could have handled this in a much – I, I know oh, sure. hindsight – much better way. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. And, 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 I mean like I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He's a good guy. I hope you can let this go. But in the meantime, my office will be fully available for any kind of interviews that you guys want to do and take care of. We want. Do you to- feel like that's a request to let it go? <laughs> to to, yeah. to end the investigation? Absolutely. Yeah. To me, it feels like uh, you know what? I fired the guy. He's he really didn't do anything. RT paid for him to go. You know what? He's a good guy, and he took a lot of heat for this. And I fired him. I think you should just let this go. Is and it? But it is asking him to end the investigation. Right. Yeah. Right. And and that and the thing is, you know. Say your boss, the president of the United States, the ultimate boss, right? You know, Jeff Sessions' boss, the boss boss. If the boss boss comes in and says, hey, uh, Chris, uh, do you think you can uh, have that report in for me by Monday? I hope you can have that report done by Monday. I hope you can have it into me by Monday. Guess what you're working on this weekend? Yeah, exactly. That report. Yeah. So, of okay. course, you take it at We're on the same value. page. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I hope you can let this go. 
Comey goes on to say he prepared an unclassified memo of that conversation, understanding that the president was requesting he drop any probe into Flint. He shared that assessment with his FBI leadership team, but declined to share it with Attorney General Jeff Sessions on the assumption that Sessions would soon be recused. Now, that is a little bit of bullshit. See, I don't buy that explanation. And Comey said it again during his testimony. It's in that written testimony. The problem is, is that was if I looked at the timeline, it's damn near three weeks before there's any suggestion that Sessions should be recusing himself, before he recuses himself, before there's news stories about it. So Comey may have had inside information three weeks in advance that Comey, that Sessions was going to do something. But I seem to re- recall it as Sessions was kind of pressured into it and kind of did a limp-wristed, vague recusal. And it felt like it was something that sort of was built up pressure. I, I it's very convenient timing. So the, and the reason why it's convenient is because it's James Comey not sharing a pretty damn important thing with his boss. He shared it with his colleagues and his subordinates, but he didn't share it with his boss. And then his explanation post-fact is, well, I, I predicted that he was going to recuse himself, you know, two and a half weeks before he did. Chip team, but declined to share it with Attorney General Jeff Sessions on the assumption that Sessions would soon be recused. That's a... That's an assumption that I, that, uh, that straight shooting James he, Comey wouldn't normally make. Here's what I think. That's I, a really I, big assumption. And this is just an opinion, of course. But I, I, I think that maybe Comey had some sort of inkling that uh, Sessions was yeah. involved with something I, and he didn't trust him. I, I could totally buy that. Yeah. The only problem is, is that Comey in everything else is such a by the booker. You know, he's such a straight shooter. Oh, yeah. I did this because by the book, I had to do it. I knew it was going to be a hard choice. I knew it would be bad for me personally. But gosh darn it, I needed to do it for the American people's faith in the FBI institution. So I had to do it. I mean, he's like this. He's like the self-sacrificing by the book I, I, guy, I, except I, for when it comes to telling his boss about I, a possible major conflict. I think that, it's only because, you know, Sessions was one of the first guys to get behind the Trump train. This is what I think, too. And, and you He know, thought Sessions was compromised. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And this is what I'm thinking. Right. And so and and also further on, you know, Comey talks about how wanting to have sessions, you know, be there going forward, you know, he doesn't want to be one on one, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, yeah I th- I totally think that. I mean, he mm-hmm. threw a bull crap cover on it. Yeah. But that's what I think. But that means he's def- he's def- he's de-emphasizing the truth in his statements. Yes. Assumption that sessions would soon be recused. While those details were kept close hold, Comey says the next time he spoke to Sessions, quote, I took the opportunity to implore the attorney general to prevent any future direct communication between the president and me. But Comey also confirming that just as President Trump wrote in his letter firing the FBI director, he had, in fact, first informed the president-elect on January 6th, he wasn't the target of a counterintelligence investigation. You know, I looked it up to try to get a sense of how often Obama and Comey directly interacted. Yeah. And do you have a guess of how many times? I'll give you, it's, it's more than zero. Three. I, the, from what I could find, two. Two. Yeah, close. Two. Yeah. Uh, I'm going by two events and by James Comey's testimony earlier, not this, not today, right. but earlier. It sounds like it was early when James Comey was brought in and then when Obama was leaving. Well, he was gave, on his way out. Yeah. yeah. It was a point that, based on Comey's recounting, aided Trump and dominate much of their interactions after Trump assumed office. So there's this constant, constant drive by Trump to say, 
Will you please come out and tell the people I'm not under investigation? Everything else in the entire world is leaking. But the one thing that's not leaking is the fact that I am not being investigated. Trump stressing the cloud of the Russia probes, quote, interfering with his ability to make deals for the country, Comey recounted. Trump telling Comey it was deals. <laughs> one point, we need to get that fact out. At another, saying explicitly he hoped I could find a way to get out that he wasn't being investigated. All right. This is where I'm confused. All right. He's saying that it's a, it's interfering with him to make deals for the country, but he wants Comey to get out the fact that him himself is not under investigation. How would that still help us as a country? Because people would still think, all right, well, fine. If you're not involved, Trump, fine, whatever. But it doesn't negate the fact that – how does yeah. it help? I think maybe that by taking help. away concerns that the president's compromised. But there's still concerns because there's a guy here in the White House that you picked, that you picked to be a part of your cabinet that's involved with Russia. How does that help? Just because maybe you're not involved with it maybe per se, how does that help us? Mm. I mean, I obviously I think all it is for him again, opinion, is, you know, he wants to knock off the list, right, for for his base. He wants to knock off that list. And if he's not looking good for his base, he wants other people to go, all right, hey, tell him I'm good. Tell him I'm good. Please tell him I'm good. But it doesn't negate the fact that there's still something going on over here. And I, I imagine uh, I imagine this must have been eating at Trump, if, if you're right. That must yeah. just be, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that... Bitterness about that whole situation is what led Trump to shit all over Comey after. Remember? The, oh yeah, just, that, oh he was terrible. He was the not. FBI respected. was in disarray. They, they hated him. Yeah, I I I pictured when that was going on that Comey must have been. That must have been when he was super. I mean, that must have pissed Comey off so much. So guess what? One of the first things he addressed in his yeah. testimony today. in his interview with Lester Holt on NBC, the president said, "I had dinner with him. He wanted to have dinner because he wanted to stay on." Is this an accurate statement? He begins by immediately debunking these things, and then he'll roll into debunking the other statements. No, sir. Did you in any way initiate that dinner? No. He he called me at my desk at lunchtime and asked me, uh, was I free for dinner that night? And called himself and said, uh, can you come over for dinner tonight? And I said, yes, sir. He said, will six work? I think he said six first. And then he said, I was going to invite your whole family, but we'll do that next time. I wanted you to come over. And is, is that a good time? I said, sir, whatever works for you. And then he said, uh, how about 630? And I, I said, whatever works for you, sir. And then I hung up and I had to call my wife and break a date with her. I was supposed to take her out to dinner that night. Oh, isn't he just lovable? Isn't he just the folksiest, lovable, most honest guy in D.C.? But you know what? His story can be collaborated by I, his wife. I'm just saying, <laughs> this is this is this is Pete Comey. This is Pete Comey, and this is gonna this performance is gonna get him another great job. It really is. I mean, tossing that line in there about breaking the date with his wife, it gets better actually. Uh, and that's uh, one of the all time great excuses for breaking. Yeah. Uh, 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 <laughs> in retrospect, I would have. I love spending time with my wife. I wish I'd been there that night. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's one question I'm not going to follow up. But in that same interview, the president said, in one case, I called him, and in one case, he called me. Is that an accurate statement? No. Did you ever call the president? No. I, and you know what? I, I believe Comey. And the only reason why is during the uh, NBC exclusive interview when Lester said, you know. Yeah, he fumbled this. Yeah, like, oh, I called yeah, I him. Called he him, called, called me. me. I can't remember. I, I really felt like he made that up on the fly because yeah. he, he wanted to make mm-hmm. it seem like that. Well, it turns out Comey, it like. Comey did actually call him. I might. The only reason I'm hesitating is 
I think there was at least one conversation where I was asked to call the White House switchboard to be connected to him. So he did technically call. Yeah, but he didn't reach out. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So uh, he so so of course he was pissed that uh, that Trump. Uh, um, was slamming him. Although the law required no reason at all to fire an FBI director, oh, the administration then chose to defame me and, more importantly, the FBI. Uh oh. By saying that the organization was in disarray. Uh oh. That it was poorly led. That the workforce had lost confidence in its leader. Those were lies, plain and simple. What oh. was it about that mm. meeting that led you to determine that you needed to start putting down a written record? Now, he's essentially going to say, I don't like the character of the man. And so I decided to write this down because he did say he didn't do this for Obama, which I would have thought he would have because this was, I thought, a tradition of FBI directors. I, I, I would think, I mean, first off, he only talked to Obama or saw him twice, right? One, once say goodbye. The other one was like, hi, nice to meet you. Now, here's a hand job. <laughs> now, granted, if Obama on his first meeting with Comey said, hey, uh, you know that Hillary thing going into my election? Because she was involved in something back then too, right? You're right. Then he might have started writing. Then it down. I think he would have. Uh, I, I know. A, who knows? Right? I know. But, who knows? Yeah. But I'm just have a feeling. If yeah. he was just saying hi, he's not going to start writing. But listen to his answer. It's like yeah. essentially he's like, oh, I think he's yeah. probably not a trustworthy person. Right. A combination of things. I think the circumstances, the subject matter, and the person I was interacting with. The person I was interacting with. Yeah. Circumstances. First, I was alone with the president of the United States or the president-elect, soon to be president. The subject matter, I was talking about matters that touch on the FBI's core responsibility and that relate to the president, president-elect personally, and then the nature of the person. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting, and so I thought it really important to document. And, you know, to be fair, I mean, up to that point, you know, there was so much mud being flung back and forth during that election, right? Mm-hmm. And then you grab him by the pussy, you have all these things happening, right? Comey is a guy just like the rest of us, all the other people out there. Got a CYA. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I was probably the most surprised by this admission. He okay. admitted handing over his memos to a friend to leak them to the press. Did you show copies of your memos to anyone outside of the Department of Justice? Now, I want to make it clear to you guys that – they all know the answers before they ask the question. And it's it's not scripted per se. It's they've been briefed many times. They've already been briefed by Comey on this topic. They have printed briefs created by their staff. The reason they're asking these questions is not because they don't know the answer. They know the answer. They're trying to get it on the public record. They're trying to see what they can get the director of the FBI, the former director of the FBI, to willfully put in the public record because it's not things that they can legally put in the public record. But if the originator can, then now it's something that can be out in open public discussion. That's why they have public hearings and they have closed hearings. Yes. And to whom did you show copies? I asked, um, President tweeted on Friday after I got fired that I better hope there's not tapes. I woke up in the middle of the night on Monday night because it didn't dawn on me originally. No, because he's too, he's too sweet. He's too good-natured to think bad or ill will of anyone. So it didn't dawn on him immediately that he should be a calculated politician. That there might be corroboration for our conversation. There might be a tape. And my judgment was I needed to get that out into the public square. And so I asked a friend of mine. That, doesn't, that explanation makes zero sense. No. There might be corroboration. 
So I needed to get my version out. Well, if there's tapes, and if you're telling an accurate version, those tapes would have, by their very nature, gotten your version of the story out. You were specifically trying to set a political – you were trying to set the conversation in the political sphere by releasing these memos. These memos, by the way, were intentionally written unclassified so he could release them later to the public legally if he wanted to. That's why he's admitting this to begin with is because he intentionally kept them unclassified. Right. For our conversation, there might be a tape. And my judgment was I needed to get that out into the public square. And so I asked a friend of mine to share the content of the memo – with a reporter. Didn't do it myself for a variety of reasons, but I asked him to because I thought that might prompt the appointment of a special counsel. Oh. See, part of me, part of me thinks... That's why he did though, it. Well, that, and also because of the tweets that were sent. Yeah, oh yeah, the 100%. Fire. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it would have gone to the pissed. leaking route, but I know if someone drug my name and character through the mud and you, same thing, Especially I don't know. when his brand in D.C. Oh, is yeah. the only honest guy in town. When that's right. your brand and then somebody's trashing you... And he like he he's like six seven, so he's a good center on the Senate basketball team. You know, it's one of those things. But so he says here, I thought this move would force the special prosecutor, which is exactly yeah. exactly what happened for a variety of reasons. But I asked him to because I thought that might prompt the appointment of a special counsel, and so I asked a close friend of mine to do it. And was that Mr. Wittes? No, uh, no. Who was that? A good friend of mine who's a professor at Columbia Law School. And the, we have the identity in the show notes now. It's, it's come out. He's done interviews. Um, so I guess he's decided to out himself, essentially. Um, I thought that was particularly interesting that he had these memos, the way they were released, and the fact that he had a friend leak them intentionally. Then he was asked about Russia and if, uh, he, if he thought that the investigation into Russia played a role Do you in his firing. Do you believe the Russia investigation He'll say played no, a right? role? I know, right? <laughs> and why I was fired? Yes. Yes, because I've seen okay. the president say so. Yeah, um, of course it did. He, yeah. Because you weren't going out there and uh, telling everybody what he wanted you to tell them. Right. And he says there's no doubt that the Russians interfered. There should be no fuzz on this whatsoever. No fuzz. No, no fuzz. fuzz. The Russians interfered in our election during the 2016 cycle. They did it with purpose. They did it with sophistication. They did it with overwhelming technical efforts and it was an active measures campaign driven from the top of that government. There Overwhelming technical efforts being phishing attacks? There is no fuzz on that. It is a high confidence judgment of the entire intelligence community. And, and the members of this committee have uh, seen the intelligence. It's not a close call. That happened. That's about as unfake as you can possibly get and is very, very serious, which is why it's so refreshing to see a bipartisan focus on that. Because this is about America, not about any particular party. America. Yeah, and then he, he does a little circle jerk uh, there of that uh, of that panel, um, and so the one of the favorite famous Comey quotes from this entire thing will no doubt be his comment about the tapes. You're big. You're strong. <laughs> I I. Wow. I have, I watched the entire wow. thing and I reclipped this. I don't remember that. Oh, at all. I do, and I, there, it's, <laughs> there's no context I can give you for it. Like I just—that's how she opened up the sentence, and you're I just big took a, and strong. You're big. You're strong. Yeah. I know the Oval Office, and I know yeah. uh, what happens to people when they walk in. There is a certain amount of intimidation. Sure. But why didn't you stop and say, Mr. President, this is wrong? I cannot discuss this with you. Uh, because you're big and strong. It's a great question. Maybe if I were stronger, <laughs> I would have. Even stronger than I was strong. so stunned 
by the conversation. That seems like you could, I, I think the I'd be taken aback. I'd be like, um, "Is this happening right now? Am I being put in this position? Is this actually happening?" You to know me? what? I actually sidebar. I, I was talking to my wife about about this kind of situation the other day. And I had a situation happen to me where uh, I was presented with some information and I had to make a split second decision right there. I had no time to kind of process it. And I know exactly what he's thinking there because it's like, wait, did that just happen? And now I have to react to it immediately. Sometimes you, you can't push you can't push back. You just kind of go with it. So I, I, I respect that. I get that. Stunned by the conversation that I just took it in. And the only thing I could think to say, because I was playing in my mind, because I was going to remember every word he said, I was playing in my mind, what should my response be? And that's why I very carefully chose the words. And look, I, I've seen the tweet about tapes. Lordy, I hope there are tapes. Lordy. Lordy. I- <laughs> There's a little giggling in the background, too. Lordy. Yeah. I very carefully chose the words. And look, I, I've seen the tweet about tapes. Lordy, I hope there are tapes. I, I remember saying... I agree he's a good guy as a way of saying I'm not agreeing with what you just asked me to do. Again, maybe other people would be stronger in that circumstance, but that, that was, uh, that's how I conducted myself. I, I hope I'll never have another opportunity. Maybe if I did it again, I would do it better. Yeah. He's good at that, doing that kind of answer. There's also a line of questioning. There was a lot of questioning about the Clinton case. All right, um, and, all right, McCain. Are we going to do? You yeah, let me do one before right. we get there because this one I think is maybe one that we should talk about first because this right. might be more important. But the McCain one's bewildering. Uh, but this one, this I think needs more discussion. At one point, the attorney general had directed me not to call it an investigation. This he is dancing around what to me sounds like a landmine of situations. Just. Um, this is huge. This is basically the former director of the FBI saying he had no confidence in Loretta Lynch on multiple reasons. They – she forced him to use the word uh, – I believe it was uh, matter instead of investigation, even though it was, in his words, a criminal investigation. At one point, the attorney general had directed me not to call it an investigation but instead to call it a matter which confused me and concerned me. You made a comment earlier about um, the attorney general, uh, previous attorney general, uh, asking you about the uh, investigation on the Clinton emails, saying that you've been asked not to call it an investigation anymore, but to call it a matter. And you had said that confused you. Can you give us additional details on that? Well, it concerned me because we were at the point where... We had refused to confirm the existence, as we typically do, of an investigation for months. And it was getting to a place where that looked silly because the campaigns were talking Wait, about. You, we totally missed something there. Hmm. We usually deny the existence of, a, of an investigation for months. And they do that intentionally while there's an investigation oh, yeah, happening. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. And I and if you recall, during the 2016 election, it was, is it a security review? Is it just a security matter? Is right. it an actual investigation? Yeah. And they weren't saying. They weren't saying anything. It turns out the entire time it was a legitimate it, criminal investigation. That's yeah. where that looks silly because the campaigns were talking about interacting with the FBI in the course of our work. The, the Clinton campaign at the time was using all kinds of euphemisms security review matters, things like that, for what was going on. We were getting to a place where the Attorney General and I were both going to have to testify and talk publicly about it, and I wanted to know, was she going to authorize us to confirm we had an investigation? And she said, yes, but don't call it that. Call it a matter. And I said, why would I do that? 
And she said, just call it a matter. And again, you look back in hindsight, you think, should I have resisted harder? I just said, all right, isn't worth it. that kind of crap that really grinds me because if it's an investigation, call it what it is. And the only reason why she wanted to call it a matter was because her best friend in the world was in the running and didn't want to screw that up. It's all politics, not about the law. And it was the exact language the campaign was using. Yep. Isn't a hill worth dying on? He said, it was, He said, look, I, I, I just did it. I called it a matter because I didn't feel like this was the battle I was going to die over. And so I just said, okay, the press is going to completely ignore it. And that's what happened when I said, we have opened a matter. They all reported the FBI has an investigation open. Uh, and so that concerned me because that language tracked the way the campaign was talking about the FBI's work, and that, that's concerning. It gave the impression that the campaign was somehow using the same language as the FBI because you were handed the campaign language and told yeah. to be able to use the campaign. And again, I don't know whether it was intentional or not, but it gave the impression that the attorney general was looking to align the way we talked about our work with the way a political campaign was describing the same activity. You know, because also her meeting with Bill Clinton on the tarmac. Uh, on an airplane, yeah, yeah in Albuquerque. Yeah. Yes, that, that was yeah, the, the yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So let's set, the, let's set the context for this. This was one of the most hyped hearings um, in, in our lifetime. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, simulcasted live on all of the news networks. Everywhere. Anchored by their biggest anchors. Everywhere. So you had politicians who knew this was their moment in front of the American people. This was a massive production. And it's within this framing that John McCain's questioning is even more embarrassing <laughs> oh. because this is the biggest national stage he's been on yeah. since he ran for president. Let, yeah, yeah. In the case of uh, Hillary Clinton, you made the statement that there wasn't uh, sufficient evidence to... He's already off the rails. ...bring a suit so he's bringing up the, what happened during the uh, 16 election. So it. Okay. it had been very uh, careless in their behavior, but you did reach a conclusion in that case that it was not uh, necessary to further pursue her. He's talking about Hillary Clinton, right? Yep. Yet at the same time, in the case of Mr. Comey, he even gets the he see, he means Mr. Trump, but he says Comey. You said that there was not enough information to make. By the way, do you see Comey on the right there? By the way, all of our audio. His listeners, super earnest, he, uh, he's confused like, look. He's trying to focus in on what the hell are you saying? Like he's. I mean, I, I was watching this at work. I was like, what is wrong with him? I was thinking, what is wrong with McCain? Where's he going? Twitter exploded. I'm going to just let, I'll play a little yeah, bit more yeah, as he tries to stumble through and realizes he just he just used the wrong name. A conclusion. Tell me the difference between your conclusion as far as former Secretary Clinton is concerned and and Mr. Mr. Trump. It is the question's nonsensical. They're not even the 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 investigations are not related. One has to do with her using a private email server handling classified information, yeah. and one has to do with people in your campaign potentially having connections to the Russian government. Like yeah. they are they are apples and oranges. And McCain doesn't know this. I like turtles. The Clinton investigation was a completed investigation that uh, the FBI had been deeply involved in, and so I had an opportunity to understand all the facts and apply those facts against the laws I understood them. This investigation was underway, still going when I was fired. 
So it's nowhere near in the same place. At least it wasn't when I was. But it's still ongoing. He goes on for eight minutes badgering Comey. Investigated. And Comey attempts to dance around and answer the question. And what McCain does is he plays the incensed, how come you haven't thought this role, even though he's not saying anything intelligible for the entire eight minutes. And it comes across as if he's being critical and and, and, he's, and he's analyzing something. When I was fired on May the 9th, there was still an open, active investigation. To he's still, we are now three minutes into this. He's still trying to explain uh, it to him. Understand the Russian efforts and whether any Americans work with them. But you reach the conclusion that there was no reason to bring charges against Secretary Clinton. Every person so on this a- panel, by the way, only gets seven minutes. They can use it however they want. They can use that as a statement or to ask questions. And this is what Amer- uh, John McCain does. So people could not make sense of it. It was really something to watch. You and I were chatting about it. My head hurts now. A reporter managed to uh, stop him on the way out and ask him, could you clarify what you meant? (laughs) What are you getting at when you're talking about the thing? So I want to paint the scene for you, too. Uh, John is, uh, is out of breath. He is sweating. And he doesn't make any sense again. You're saying that in the case of the investigation of former Secretary Clinton's... uh, you see how he's dripping, too? Like, he's not in good health. What's I mean, I know he's an old man, but... Yeah, but, man. ...involvement. He examined it, said it was over, was done. In the case of President Trump's involvement, there's more shoes to drop, there's more investigations. What's all the right. difference? We it's all have the her. same issue. That was the question I was trying to get at. Wow. Obviously concern? didn't do it very well. What? Do you still have any outstanding concerns? Something that you do... I have hundreds of outstanding concerns. Like what? He can't name a single one. I can't even bother with all the other aspects of this thing. Every few days, another shoe drops. This is the classic scandal. So he sounds in the when he's questioning Comey, he sounds like he's implying that Hillary colluded with Russia and that should be investigated. But then when he's out being interviewed afterwards, he's implying that this is a huge scandal that more shoes are to drop. It isn't the same as Watergate. It isn't the same as Iran-Contra. But it has the same earmarks of a new revelation every few days. He's really lost it. And he looks in poor health. I mean, I don't understand why he's standing there when he has one of the best health care plans in the country. <laughs> he should get checked out. So uh, you're good, buddy. My friend. Paul Ryan explains it all the way. Oh, no, I don't want to hear now this. realize why the president is so frustrated when the FBI director tells him on three different occasions he's not under investigation, yet... The speculation swirls around the political system that he is. That's frustrating. Of course the president's frustrated. And I think the American people now know why he was so frustrated. Because this speculation was allowed to swirl when he was being directly told by the FBI director he wasn't under investigation. Look, as far as the, 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 the conversations and all of that... This is the new line, so take, get your notepads out, oh, everybody. I'm, uh, um, I'm not going to speculate any of this. I, I would just add... I'm just going to speculate a little bit. Um, that, of course, there needs to be a degree of independence between DOJ, FBI, and a White House, and a line of communication is established. The president's new at this. Ah! He's new to government. And so ah! he probably wasn't steeped in the long-running protocols that established the relationships between DOJ, FBI, and White Houses. 
Okay. So I, I don't know what I'm to gonna, say. I'm going to paint a picture please, for you. Please, Chris. You've been, you've been a boss for a long time. Yeah. Everywhere you go, yeah. everybody treats you like you're the king. Then you become yeah. the president. Now you're yeah. the ultimate boss. Yeah. And these guys work for you. Yeah. And uh, so you're like, hey, you know what? Let's just let's just you're, let's let's be have let's have some loyalty between us. Everything will go fine. Let these things go. It's no big deal. He didn't know any better. He just didn't know. He didn't think about the fact that he's the president asking an FBI director to drop an investigation. Uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't know any better. And he has the legal authority to so, actually order it if he wanted you, you, to. You so. have a law enforcement official. He didn't okay. know any better. He's he, doesn't, he doesn't know how to talk to an, a law enforcement well, official. Well, Chase, you running protocols that establish the relationships between DOJ, FBI, and White Houses. He doesn't know about these protocols. Oh, I know. Poor guy. He's just new to this. We He's, should just send him a How to Be President for Dummies book, and maybe he can read it. He's new to this. Poor guy. He's new to this. Unbelievable. I, I'm sorry. And by the, by the way— That's I, the defense. He's I, just, I just, oh, that's, that's terrible. That's the worst defense. I, I will flip it around, too. Please. Because I, I agree. And, and I'll put it this way. Imagine for a moment, everybody, that uh, it's President Obama's first term in office uh, in uh, – what was it? When was it? it wasn't 2008. That was the second election, right? God, yeah. it, feels like for, it feels like a lifetime ago. Imagine in President Obama's first 200 days if every mistake that was made, the Democrats came out and said, well, he's new. I mean, he's only been a one-time senator. It's not like he's—it's not like he's a DC insider. He's—he's uh, he's an outsider. He's new. He doesn't know any better. You, listen, don't worry about it. Listen, he'll get better. Barry's new. I mean, the—the the right would have eviscerated, ding, eviscerated um, Obama for that. Yeah. And now, uh, it's, now it's the go-to defense. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh no, he's just learning. He's new. However, uh, Judge Napolitano. The judge. He doesn't think it was a good day for Trump. He thinks that he thinks that Comey testimony didn't go very well. The fired FBI director James Comey says it'll be up to the special counsel to decide whether President Trump was trying to obstruct justice when the president talked to Comey about the investigation of the former national security advisor Michael Flynn. Comey testified that the president said, I hope you can let this go. And even though the president used the word hope, Comey made it perfectly clear in testimony that he took it as a direction to drop the Flynn case. The president's private lawyer insists that the president never directed or suggested anything like that. Let's take it to the judge, Fox News take senior judicial judge. analyst, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Well, that's a he said, he said. Right, right. And, but and, if he did say it. Well, if he did say it, either because examining the credibility of the two of them, a neutral observer concludes that he said it, or because there are tapes and they bear out what Jim Comey said, the question is, what was his motivation? So if the president's motivation was... Now, this is an interesting thing here, because how do you get to a man's motivation in an investigation? It, it feels like yeah, it feels like it was the same thing when it came to Hillary email investigations. Like you can't litigate motivation unless you can prove motivation. Like you can't just you can't just kind of guess. We've got more important things to do. Conserve resources. Uh, the NSA leaks are, are worse than this. That's a legitimate order. But if the president's motivation was. I don't want you to go after Flynn because he's got some stuff on my friends and they have some stuff on me. That would be a corrupt motivation. And a corrupt motivation turns that order into obstruction of justice. Now, the president cannot be indicted for a crime while he's the sitting president. No, that would be Congress. Correct. Congress would decide whether or not to proceed forward with anything, whether or not this rises to the level of high crimes and uh, misdemeanors. The Supreme Court has never ruled on whether obstruction of justice is an impeachable offense. But in the Nixon impeachment, which did not mature into impeachment, as we all know, he resigned before there was any impeachment. 
in the Clinton impeachment, which by today's standards I think seems frivolous, but was an impeachment. Both of those were based on obstruction of justice. So there is a general consensus in the legal community that a demonstrable case of obstruction of justice, interfering with a federal criminal investigation for a corrupt purpose, would constitute an impeachable offense. Was that the most damning moment of the day in your mind? No. No. In my mind, and you and I looked at each other, because we were right here in this room. It seems like it was yesterday, but it was a few hours ago. It does seem like it was yeah. yesterday. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. Uh, the most damning thing was when Jim Comey suggested a quid pro quo. He suggested that... I agree. This is why I left this part. Yeah. The yeah. president basically gave him the impression. Here's the quid pro quo, Jim. You want to keep your job as director of FBI? Lay off Flynn. That, to me, was new and was extremely damning and, quite frankly, was not addressed by Mark Kasowitz, the president's lawyer. I'm- yep. And here's the other thing I wanted to add about the president's lawyer. You know, I, I watched his, uh, I would say, uh, counter speech. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess. And it was released as a written statement, too. Yeah. Um, if I was the president of the United States, okay, and I was involved in a he said, he said situation, okay, I would go out there to give assurance to the American people, the people who voted for me, and maybe the people who didn't vote for me, I would get out there on a microphone and say, hey, and, and just lay it straight, you know, as you can lay it straight as you can. By having his lawyer So, yeah, I asked him, him to hopefully let it go, but just because I knew this whole thing shit, like something like that? Or, or something. And, and you, know, you can turn it and make it right, written professionally, you know, mm-hmm. have your mm-hmm. speechwriter write something nice for you. But instead, he has his lawyer, which... I'm sorry. I, I think that it, tells you it eeks of just like I think it, something's going on. I think it tells you yeah. the way this has their handling of this has shifted, and yeah. now they're having their legal representation. And if, yeah, this is getting this is it's a step more serious. And I would not be too shocked if Donald Trump ends up getting pulled in by Bob Mueller yeah. for for a testimony, and that is going to be. Do you think? Do you think Donald Trump refuses to talk to Bob Mueller because he has that option? He doesn't have to. No. You think he will? I think he will. I think he's confident in himself, and I think he would say— Does he take the fifth <laughs> at any point? No, he'll just bumble around in his his sort of uh, shaggy dog style of speaking. I called him, he called me? It'll be—yeah, it'll be a lot of like his other interviews have been, but it, yeah. I think I think he is genuinely—I think he genuinely believes there's no there there. Yeah. That's my, that's my impression of this. So I think we could end up with Donald Trump being tested—just like, you know, it happened to Clinton— Clinton was pulled in, and it was a public. It was a public session. It is, it's just that when his lawyer came out and started talking and, and make and, and making the statements that he made, I was thinking in my head as like, if Trump was completely innocent in this whole situation and there was nothing nothing going on in this whole situation, then why did he fire Comey? I mean, ultimately, right? He said he fired Comey because the FBI lost confidence, and then he tweeted out he fired him because of the Russia situation. And then his lawyer said, oh, well, no, that's not the reason why he got some, fired. I brought some bacon for this very question. And, you know, I knew that this bacon came from Bainbridge, so why don't you go ahead and tell me. I suspect that – and this was leaked, and then, of course, the White House totally denied it. But it was leaked that Trump also asked – for uh, pledges of loyalty, in a sense, from other members of the government, like maybe the NSA director, um, think people like that. They denied it, in a sense. They kind of indirectly denied it in their testimonies. But I wouldn't be too surprised if, to Donald Trump, he needed to set a damn example. Because this guy wasn't being loyal. 
And uh, he asked Comey on several occasions to come out and tell the public that he was not under investigation. And if you look at Trump's tweets before Comey was fired, he's saying he's asking the FBI, stop these leakers down, shut these leakers down. Well, who's he talking to? He's talking to Comey. He's talking directly to Comey on Twitter. And I think it was this frustration. All this other crap's leaking out. But the one thing that I need the American people to know so they can know how great I'm doing isn't leaking out. And he just said – you're not going to be loyal to me. I'm firing you. I, I can. It's my prerogative, so I'm firing yeah, you. Yeah, but then he, remember he had sessions, dig up something, write up something, or whatever the case may be to make that happen. Remember, so mm-hmm. God, it's just it's not going to end well, or at least if not end well, something. Th- there's a bigger, deeper thing going on here that right. we don't even know about. I think what's I think part of what's happening is there is legitimate collusion with maybe some members, perhaps if you consider being paid by RT to go to an event. I I think that's pretty weak. I think there is much more damning connections in Washington between <laughs> Russia and Washington that are being ignored. But yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't think I don't think colluding with Russia to begin with, even if colluding existed, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Then why then why is it that like the administration is so not on board to say anything bad about Russia, like or like sometimes you get a little tidbits like, oh, they're not being fair. Well, uh, if you look, if you look at where it counts, they 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 just released another statement saying they have no intentions to revise the sanctions. That's really the those are the actions that matter the most. And they're the I they're not they're not budging on the sanctions, despite what some of the leaks have said. Right. I, too, if I, too, though, you know, let's be let's be clear. If I'm Trump, my position is this. Let you be clear. The Russia hate it was stirred up by the Clinton campaign. It's a bunch of crap. Russia should be our allies on the war against terror. Russia, a lot of Russia's interests actually align with our interests. Putin seems to be a pretty level-headed guy. Why not cooperate with them? Yeah, wouldn't it be great if the Donald Trump presidency was the presidency that realigned our relationship with Russia and made it productive? Do, do you think Russia had? Any uh, did I, I know they're just NSA tools. I know there's CIA tools out there and we've talked about the conspiracy bacon. But do you think honestly that Russia had any involvement in the election process, meaning it could be meaning putting out disinformation? Uh, meaning, Probably. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, you know, I mean, RT is a thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just okay. like we just said, like they yeah. if they probably they were probably fucking around with some state uh, voting systems. Yeah. I mean, that's probably a and, thing. And probing for for holes. You think? And I, I bet you they also were paying for lobbying groups they were right. probably financing super PACs I, mean, I bet you they were yeah is, is the reason why Trump and his administration like don't really talk about that or uh, don't really want to talk about that is, I think it seems to us like a big deal because we're so disconnected it is that is business as usual right. I think all it of it is both sides yeah I think all of it's business as usual yeah. I think we do it to them they do it to us and I think the reason why to us it seems like oh my god this is this is this is out of the ordinary is because they don't tell us it's going on. Right. Uh, I, I and I think when you have when you have these separate threads, it's easy, like for McCain even, c- to confuse them all. It's easy to confuse the Hillary Clinton email investigation. It's easy to confuse the hack of the the, the phishing of the DNC and the DCC. It's easy to confuse uh, fake news and potential uh, propaganda put out by the Russian government. It's easy to confuse the Russians 
potentially interfering with local state governments or probing around to see what they can find to get data on people. All of those things are separate things. Those are all separate things. Right. But they constantly get twisted up into this big, huge narrative to try to build the case that Donald Trump is the Kremlin candidate. And I don't think that part of it holds up yet. Uh, I, and I find the connection to Flynn to be pretty damn weak. He was fired because he lied, not because of the Russia investigation. There's been no legal action. We are now seven months into this investigation. It has been chopped off at the head and replaced by a special prosecutor. The FBI director has been fired. We are seven months into this thing, and there is still, there is no direct proof of any connection or collusion. I I mean, at at some point, like, where do we go? Okay, this is seven months of wasted time. I mean, really, seven months into this thing. Yeah. And and we've got nothing yet. So what's, uh, well... Should we red book yet? Is it going to be done by the end of the year? <laughs> I no, mean, I, I definitely think not. No. no, I think what we are getting right now um, is we are getting the groundwork for a sustained media campaign until the 2018 election. Yes. So what we're having right now is we're building the framework for the case that will be played out over the next couple of years to get us to the 2018 election, to get Democrats to win seats. That's what this is ultimately about. That's why there's all the confusion, because there are legitimate things that happened. There are fake things that happen, like this dossier that started – if you think about it, this fake dossier was a, was, a, was a domino effect because it led McCain to go to Comey, who goes to Trump, who then starts this whole series of conversations, which leads to his firing. Like it's this, this fake dossier about all of this bullshit stuff is was spun people out of control. All of this Russia stuff is being spun and spun and spun to try to – chant impeachment. They're never going to get to impeachment. I don't think so. Not over the Russia stuff. Where they could get to impeachment is over blocking the investigation. The, that, that, the obstruction of justice thing could be where the real meat's on the bone. But the ironer would be, it would be an obstruction of justice over a bogus investigation to begin with. It was a politically manufactured investigation that he then tried to stop to politically benefit himself, which would then lead to his ultimate impeachment possibly. But it's going to, you know, when you're using words like hope, yeah, you really then have to try to prove the president's motivation and intention. And that's a hell of a case to make against the sitting president. It's a hell of a case. Oh, totally. I want to do a little world news. Uh, there was the uh, London attack on the, the uh, stabbing near the bridge. Six people were killed in a vehicle and stabbing incident. Here's a little coverage of that. It began in what is becoming a familiar, horrifying way. The white van here on the left was driven down the pavement on London Bridge, running down people out for a drink on a warm summer's night. The van crashed. But it wasn't over. The three men came out of the van, and then they headed towards uh, Southwark Cathedral. They went down the stairs, and uh, I went over to the edge next to the van to see where, where they was going. And then there was a bar full of people there just having a good time and they went running straight into them and then I'm not too sure they're saying I think they were saying this is for Allah this was an indiscriminate attack with knives in a crowded area of pubs and bars known as Borough Market there was an immediate armed response from the police Ooh, um, this is for Allah they shouted supposedly mm. That's a really it's a really sad situation. No, but it's terrible. The part that I thought maybe you and I might have more commentary on was the I think it was like the next day 
your good buddy, my friend, strong friend, Theresa uh, May, uh, had this to say about safe oh. harbor on the internet. We cannot allow this ideology the safe space it needs to breed. The safe space, Chase, to breed. Yet that is precisely what the internet and the big companies that provide internet-based services and encryption provide. We need to work with allied democratic governments. That would be probably the states. To reach international agreements that regulate cyberspace. International cyberspace regulation. Yeah. International cyberspace regulation. What she fails to tell you is this guy has been on a list for, what, two, three years? Mm -hmm. God, this is so frustrating, Chase. Never waste a disaster. This was like the next day, too. To prevent the spread of extremist and terrorism planning. And we need to do everything we can at home. To reduce the risks of extremism online. Remember, remember the June 8th? Uh, oh, she, no, she, she sees this as part of their mission. To regulate the internet. This is a human rights issue she sees. Oh, it. yeah, yeah. I mean longer prison kids? sentences for those convicted of terrorist offences. Yeah. Yeah. I mean making it easier for the authorities to deport foreign terrorist suspects back to their own country. Yeah. Isn't it amazing that this shit works everywhere? It doesn't matter where you are, this fucking shit works everywhere. Well, and I mean doing more to... Fear, fear, it, I will protect you. Fear, fear, I will protect you. Fear, fear. It's, it's, it's not fully working. I mean... If it was, she would have a much more bigger groundswell of support today. I was I was reading about the UK election, and she's down about I think eighteen or twenty seats uh, from when she called the snap election. So, I think. So, and by the way, these comments happened what two days before the election. So it's you know I think some people are waking up just a little bit over there. Um, I know that we got some great supporters from the UK, so I'd love to hear from you guys. But man, yeah, Jeremy Corbyn is actually pulling ahead right now. You're right. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hmm. As of uh, a few minutes ago, this poll was updated. Yeah. Well, we'll keep watching that as we go. You know, Mister Chase, we're just about to the high note. Yes. I thought we should take a moment and talk about a little project, a little side project we have. Let's, folks, step over here for us. Yeah. With us. All right. Let's. Ooh, it's pretty over here. Yeah, yeah. It's, I like the, uh, it's the unfiltered Patreon at yes. patreon.com slash unfiltered. And uh, we're currently at $3,200 a month. We're trying to invest in the show and get it up to $4,000 and go twice a week. Yeah. And uh, boy, oh, I'm sorry, lordy, lordy, could we have used that this week? <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash unfiltered, where we have Club 33, where you can get swag. You also get your say into the show. But did we? We did. Did we do an expanded uh, sack last week? Well, what we did is I went to the unfiltered supporters and and I said, hey, and I opened it up to all the supporters at uh, Unfilter uh, Patreon, and I labeled it Unfilter Supplemental. I said, hey, we announced our new goal. We want to know what you think, like it or hate it. And by the way. After I put this out, a lot of people actually jumped on board and became new patrons. We gained a lot of new patrons last week, so thanks for that. But a lot of people have said, hey, an unfiltered supplemental show would be great. This is from Taka Fiji. It'd be great if you kept it around the 30 to 45-minute point and mm-hmm. only if you covered – only if something covered in the main show you guys feel need to be talked about. In my opinion, keeping the overtime at the 30 to 45 minute mark would also be preferred. I look forward to getting a filter every week to get my fill of news and only watch a handful of news programs. Yeah, I don't know if we'd do overtime for every supplement. I think that'd probably just stay for the main yeah, show. Yeah, I think that'd be for the main show. Uh, a lot of people say, hey, this is an excellent idea. I'm for more on filter, more please, overwhelmingly. Yeah, so here's the thing, you guys. If, oh, by the way, and one mention here, how do you get on the Club 33 wing list? Uh, here's, the, here's how you do it. 
you become a patron. If you're already a patron, go ahead and select the Club 33 level. And then what happens is when you select it, it'll say, hey, there's no spots available. You can click a link that be re- email sent to you when a spot opens up. We are brewing some new spots. I wonder if we should open some more spots as we try to, as we try to get the price yeah. point up. Because we know really, because if we can get more people at 33, then we, then we need oh. less people to get us to 4,000 so we can do the multiple shows. And, and by the way... I'm just saying, it could the, be in our the, advantage. Just the reason, hold on a second. What's, yeah. The reason why we don't do it is because we're trying not to bury ourselves in the swag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing, you guys. Patreon lets you put in any amount that you want. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have levels that give you certain access, but they're... Uh, I'm going to be a little greedy here. Sorry, I'm going to be a little Trumpy. I don't mind if you show us the money, and you can you can change your thirty three thirty three to fifty. You can change it to a hundred. You can change your five dollar. You can change your five to yeah. six dollars yeah. and ninety eight yeah. cents. Yeah, there's really nothing yeah. restricting us. And I'm not saying I'm not saying not anything saying more than this, but I'm just going to say yeah. four thousand dollars seems like a lot to you guys, but to us it is simply about making this show a priority for the business. Right. It's about being able to fund increased production requirements, right. and it really could just be a starting point. I mean, in terms of where this show can go, look at look at look at the resources. If we had more resources, look what we could do just with more news, more coverage. Right. Expand all of these topics could have been dedicated shows. Even yeah. we could have had multiple episodes this week. Yeah, it's reinforcing for time and, 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 and energy and everything. Mm-hmm. So hey, mm-hmm. if you guys want to support our awesome show, and thanks to all of you guys who yep. signed up over the past week. Yep, and our supporters uh, were uh, pivotal in us deciding to have the Thursday edition this week. Eighty-eight, twelve percent. And, yeah. and by the way, this is this. We know there's a lot of people out there who enjoy our show that are not patrons. Yeah. And, you know, we love you guys, too. But really, you guys who support us on Patreon, you guys mean the most to us. Because without you... Those other people, would, they're not... Have, they're sub... They're sub-supporters. No. <laughs> no, we... You know we what? We love you guys. We appreciate yeah, we really you guys do. so much. We really so, do. If you listen to our show and, you know, hey... Instead of that Starbucks coffee that cost me $4.50 in one coffee, if you enjoy a month's worth of our content, consider becoming at least a $2 supporter today at patreon.com slash unfiltered. You got it, buddy. Also, a huge shout out to everybody who spreads the word about the show, yes. promotes it to friends who are think, it, that think like you, know you what do. I love? I love it when fans of the show tweet at you and they mm-hmm. tweet at me mm-hmm. and they say some of the nicest, mm-hmm. kindest yep. Yeah, things. Is, it is. Mo- it's motivational, and especially after last week, when honestly I was feeling down. Yeah, I was. I was pissed because you know people ripped into me. We actually had some unfiltered supporters and some people on YouTube going, "You know what? You know, you know, you're doing something right when you're pissing somebody else off." <laughs> so thanks so much, you guys. Alrighty, patreoncom slash. That's it, Chris. I need I'm a high note. Come on, let's go. I need it. So this is a topic I like to follow a lot. And that is driving stone because I think this is the biggest challenge to recreational cannabis yeah, totally. is how they can measure this and the, the, just the massive wild card that this is. The National Traffic Highway Safety Administration says on Friday and Saturday nights, one out of five drivers has a drug other than alcohol in their system. The agency says the drug that saw the biggest increase between 2007 and 2014 was marijuana. Oh, now this is a funny stat because Did it's water. Marijuana. Marijuana. It's a funny stat because it, it what it, what they're actually saying is in addition to being drunk, we also discovered some THC in their system. Now, <laughs> it it doesn't it's not that it's not that they're not drinking it too. It's that they're doing both apparently, which is kind of funny because you have to wonder if perhaps the way THC works, it remains in your system for like up to more than a month. So if you're drunk 
and you've smoked pot in, say, the last three days, wouldn't you show up as drunk and having THC in your system? seems like this is just right off the very beginning. This is already a hard thing for them to measure properly. The National Institute on Drug Abuse says after alcohol, marijuana is the drug most commonly involved in crashes. Even so, some argue marijuana doesn't necessarily make a driver unsafe. Like this San Diego woman. She asked us not to use her name because she doesn't want her boss to know she smokes pot. The woman says marijuana makes her a better driver. I think it's just because the weed makes me feel so much more relaxed. A better driver. They give her like the most hokiest looking joint too. It looks like a cigar. That doesn't look like a joint. That looks like a like a little... Uh, Stock footage, Chris. Stock like footage. a little sweetie or Stock whatever they're footage. called. Stock footage. So this gal says, <laughs> I drive better when I'm stoned because I'm not such a basket case. That's uh, Isn't that what she's saying? Yeah. She asked us not to I'm use relaxed. her name because she doesn't want her boss to know she smokes pot. The woman says marijuana makes her a better driver. I think it's just because the weed makes me feel so much more relaxed. I think this is a good Uber candidate. <laughs> I don't feel rushed because most of the time I feel rushed just because of the nature of my job. But when I'm smoking weed, I can go whatever pace I want to. But I think she needs a new job. Others could smoke the same amount of pot as this woman and feel totally out of it. So where do we draw the line? Researchers at UC San Diego are trying to find out. So this is the room where we do the driving simulations. Oh, God. You can already tell where this is going. This is, this is such a stupid premise because... You have to control the variables. So you're going to have your new pot smokers and you're going to have your experienced pot smokers and you're going to go get your high potency weed and your low potency weed and you're going to divvy it up and you're going to make sure that they smoke and log and then you're going to measure their different performances. Seems like a great idea on the surface, except for the nuance of pot is so much more complicated than that. You can have something with an extremely high THC content or a extremely high CBD content or it can have a dramatically different effect just by being a different strain of pot, and the percentages can be completely different. Yeah. So you can't just scientifically say, well, this has a 25% THC ratio, so I'm going to use this, and this has a 10%, and we'll use this as our low end, and then we'll draw our conclusions. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. There's there's different strains of pot that have different amounts of THC that have totally different effects on the way the mind operates. So the test is already a little invalid, not to mention a simulator is nothing like the real world. So I also have issues with this. I don't like how any of this is going so far. Uh, We have our participants sit here in this seat and go through a fully interactive driving simulation. Tom Marcotte is the co-director of UCSD's Center for Cannabis Research. He's involved in a state-funded study that aims to establish when a person is too stoned to drive. People in the study are being given different amounts of pot of varying strengths and then asked to take a spin in the simulator. We have Things where people need to make left-hand turns That's across. Yeah. Dude, freaking uh, Forza looks better than that. I know. It's it's like 90s graphics. Remember when uh, I brought Forza over and it looks mm-hmm, so much better? Mm-hmm. That looks terrible. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oncoming traffic, which is requires judgment of time and distance and all of that. It also is a completely skewed perspective. The screens are not on the side of your head, so it's not like real driving at all. It's not. And if you go too fast, you'll squeal tires, and if you go too slow, you may be in an accident. Move to the far right lane and take the freeway exit. I don't know if you noticed the rendering there too, but the cars ahead of him just sort of pop on the screen. Oh no, no, it, it is like no, I know, I know, but they right. still watch. They yeah, still yeah. kind of pop on there. Oh yeah, like it looks like it to the me. Far right lane. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The draw distance. Yeah, the draw distance. Oh sucks. my god. And take the freeway exit. Researchers will be testing participants immediately after they smoke, and then hours later to see how impairment changes over time. 
Dr. Igor Grant is director of the Center for Cannabis Research. We're, um, you know, monitoring blood levels, saliva levels, expired breath, all those kinds of things. And using, you know, not only driving, but other kinds of cognitive tests to see how impaired a person really is. I think based on that... I feel like the only way this could be valid is if you, if you monitored them for like a year. You have them smoke yeah. for like a year and yeah. monitor them. Yeah. Maybe we can develop a better indicator. They're really on the wrong yeah, track here. Better indicator. Uh, of impairment. Yeah. The study is just getting underway, so it will be some time before any results are announced. Grant says previous research suggests in modest doses, marijuana doesn't greatly increase the risk of accidents. But that's not to say he's encouraging people to drive stoned. My point is that we don't know the exact uh, criteria to detect intoxication. How I agree long with that. Yes, after I agree a too. Has taken the marijuana. Yep. Are they unsafe to drive? And these are the things we need to answer. But Scripps Mercy Hospital's chief of staff, Michael Seiss, believes any amount of marijuana makes someone unsafe to drive. Mm. In his decades of experience as a trauma surgeon, Dr. Seiss has seen too much carnage caused by drug-impaired drivers. Basically, buzzed driving is dangerous driving. Is he talking about pot or is he talking about alcohol and well, he said drugs so like what coke no the meth? narrator said drugs right he said buzzed which is do you, alcohol guess, yeah yeah, but, uh, yeah yeah i would say yeah drugs in general though would be bad and yeah. alcohol being one of them a uh, doctor what about prescription medication how do you feel about that thank you that's that's i include that in the category so arguing over amounts right now is probably not the way to think about it i think all of us should be responsible drivers Bottom line is if there you go right there. That's the bottom line right bottom there. Bottom line be, right there. Be responsible. Bottom bottom line right there. If you want to be a part of the show in other ways like our subreddit, head over to unfilter.reddit.com. There you can upvote, downvote, sidevote, whatever comment you want to away. do. Comment away. Also jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact to get a hold of us. And don't forget, in every single episode post over on our site. We have RSS feeds where you can subscribe in your podcast player of choice and get the show automatically. So if we move to a Thursday and you don't you don't know where the show's at, just know that when there is a show, you're going to get it in that feed. That's you can right. find them over there on the website. Chase, where should people follow you throughout the week? Please give me a follow over there on the Twitter at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. You can also follow all my gaming escapades on Twitch and everything else. If you want to find out more, head over to ggtvlive.com. I'm also doing the Instagram thing. Chris does the vlog thing. Where do mm. you? Where can people find that? I would guess if you were to go to youtube.com slash Chris Fischer, you will find it there. Also, check out Linux Action News. And Wes joins us from Linux Unplugged and TechSnap on a very special user air coming out soon. So check all of those shows out if you need more podcasts. Over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Follow the network at Jupiter Signal. I'm at Chris LAS. Yes. On the tweeters. Mr. Chase. Yes, Chris. Have yourself a responsible evening. Okay? I will I will try. And I want to remind everybody that we will be going back to, to our Wednesdays. normal yeah. Wednesday yeah. next yeah. week. Also, stay tuned. Well. Really good overtime coming up. We played some uh, we played some I, I, I know this, even though I'm saying it's coming up, it's actually already been recorded. Little little bit of a disclosure there. Okay. I think I just pulled back the curtain a little too far. Yeah. And now we've seen too much. Just stick around. It's a good overtime. If you're leaving, thanks for joining us. Yes. We appreciate you being here. You're a good person. And we'll see you right back here next week.
believe those guys the show is far from over maybe the most important clips yet it's time for episode 239's overtime brought to you by patreon.com slash unfiltered As you know, Unfilter is pushing towards a new goal. We're trying to get to twice a week. We're trying to get to $4,000 on our Patreon. I could, have, I could have done a daily show this week, but twice a week would have at least helped us break some of this down. And I want to thank our new patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter that are helping make that goal possible, to make more Unfilter possible. Thank you to Martin, George, George, <laughs> Josh, Bruce, PC Mac, PCX Mac, James... Voidlink, Curtis, Line Noise, which is something I hate, but also a great username. Robert, Anine, Jonas, and Liven, Levin, Levin H. Thank you for being our new patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. This overtime segment is dedicated to you and all of our supporters that are helping us reach our next goal of $4,000. This, I honestly think, is going to make it a much better show. Not only can we invest more in the production, but the amount of news and topics and the amount of analysis that is needed could easily sustain a twice-a-week show. Twice a week, depending on how the funding goes, could just be the starting spot. I might be getting ahead of myself. We'll save that for a future episode. Let's jump in to the overtime. Now let's start with my favorite segment. My favorite segment. Documenting the established Democrats, the ones with their corporate ties. <laughs> Sounds like such a gimmick now. <laughs> Sounds so stupid. Uh, you know, your Nancy Pelosi's out there. We love our own Nancy segment. And uh, something about those in power like to stay in power. Insert your own uh, euphemism there. Because Nancy just thinks it would be great, just great, if Hillary helped out the Democrats in 2018. Speaker, it's his appointment. Yes, ma'am. Um, on another subject, Hillary Clinton said today that she thinks it's possible Democrats could retake the House in 2018 and said she was helping in that effort. Is she a good messenger for the Democratic Party in 2018? Well, I, you know what? Uh, we, there are going to be all kinds of messengers in this. And as with our great and diverse state, some people will be more helpful some places than others. But I'm, 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 I didn't hear that. You're telling me now that she says she's going to be helpful and that would be great. Uh, she is highly respected. Uh, in our country, and uh, uh, it's going to take everything to defeat the Republicans because they will have... Let's stop right here. So uh, it's interesting the way she said this because she said there's going to be a lot of messengers and different messengers will do better in different places. So this is how I think they see the solution to their problem. It's not that Hillary and the established Democrats, the corporatist Democrats, are a problem. It's that they just don't play well in certain areas. That's a, it, you know, it's a demo thing. It's a demo grid. If they get the demographics right, uh, things are fine. That's what she says. Today that she thinks it's possible Democrats could retake the House in 2018 and said she was helping in that effort. Is she a good messenger for the Democratic Party in 2018? So is she a good messenger, i.e., I- is she a toxic brand? Well, I, you know what? Uh, we, there are going to be all kinds of messengers. All kinds of messengers. In this, and as with our great and diverse state, some people will be more helpful some places than others. But I didn't hear that. You're telling me now that she says she's going to be helpful and that would be great. 
just great. Uh, she is highly respected uh, in our country, and uh, uh, it's going to take everything to defeat the Republicans because they- now it's going to take everything except for cleaning out the leadership of the Democratic Party. Everything but that. It's going to take everything except for self-analysis. It's going to take everything but genuinely asking ourselves why we're getting our asses handed to us in the election. It's going to take everything but blaming the Russians. That 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 we're going to do. They will have endless special interest, secret, dark money. You know, like George Soros. Flowing like black substance into the campaign, suffocating the airwaves with their misrepresentations. Whoa, that sounds like the Russians. So we'll take everything, but we're very proud of... uh, We'll take everything. uh, Our chairman, Ben Ray Lujan, and the job he's doing uh, to mobilize at the grassroots ladder. We're desperate. We're desperate. We'll do anything. We're desperate. That's, That's how I read that. Um, and then when Nancy Pelosi makes the rounds, she, she tries to come across as one of you. She wants to be one of you. And the best way to do that, obviously, is to go to The View. What more do you mean? Congresswoman, you yourself uh, said that you thought that Comey's behavior was inappropriate, his actions were inappropriate. And I'm going to stop right here. So The View is uh, ratings are up. The, ra- the ratings are up for The View since they switched to political commentary. So they're having more politicians come on. So they bring Nancy Pelosi on and they say, Nancy, look, you wanted to fire Comey. You wanted to fire Comey. And now you're complaining that he's fired. It's essentially what the question is. That he should be fired. So no, it- I never said he should be fired. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, she says, oh, 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 oh. ...were inappropriate and that he should be fired. So no, it- I never said he should be fired. Oh, no. What I said was, when he, uh, what he did as far as Hillary Clinton was concerned, wasn't, was. What, Nancy? It was what, Nancy? What? Was, he couldn't take the heat for it. Okay. You said you said he was maybe not in the right job. Maybe he wasn't in the job if he couldn't take the heat for it. Isn't that obnoxious when they have the quote right there and she's like, well, hold on a second. Let me just read you what you said. Take the heat for it. You said you said he was maybe not in the right job. Maybe he wasn't in the job if he couldn't take the heat for it. But it was very curious. And I thought that his revealing that investigation, but. And then later coming back, mm-hmm. he had an impact on the election. There's no question about that. But that's a separate issue. Let's stop there. I, they continue to question her. But there was another line of questioning that surprised me. Joy's all in. She's all uh, in. It wasn't so good just enough. the war zone. So um, let's talk about this Thursday because former FBI Director Comey is about to testify publicly to the Senate Investigation Committee and he's expected to say that basically Trump pressured him to end his investigation into Russia, which sounds like obstruction of justice. Is this a serious bombshell and is it grounds for impeachment? Oh. <laughs> Oh, Nancy Pelosi hates it when that word comes up. She's trying to walk everybody back from the impeachment because she knows it makes the Democrats sound crazy. You knew she'd get to that word, huh? Here's the other problem is uh, if if impeachment doesn't happen, then so much of the – well, I wouldn't say so much, but a fair amount of their constituents are going to be pissed. They're going to be pissed. So I think Nancy's trying to set certain expectations here, and Joy's not having it. When that word comes up, (laughs) I always say to my colleagues in the Congress and my constituents and people across the country what I said before. 
simmer the fuck down. Anything you do has to be based on data, evidence, facts. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can speculate, but it's got to be the law and the facts well, and how they said, match up. But, but Trump already admitted on television that he said this to call me to, to, to please stop the investigation into Michael Flynn. He said it. And look at Nancy Pelosi the entire time. She's like, stop, stop. Calm down. Stop. Like she's making that hand motion that you make like when you're talking to your child. And you're like, calm down. It's OK. I know you bruised your elbow. Stop. Don't. It's all right. Watch Nancy's hands as Joy's talking here. That he said this to call me to, to, to please stop the investigation into Michael Flynn. He- she's mouthing too. Nancy is silently mouthing words as Joy talks and she's like taking awkward breaths. Call me to, to, to please stop the investigation into Michael Flynn. He said it. Well, what more proof do we need? Isn't that interesting to watch them? That I had not seen the first time I watched this through. The last time, because I know most of you are on the audio. But if you're watching the video, it is extremely interesting to watch Nancy Pelosi while Joy speaks. And I know I'm distracting from what Joy's saying, but I'd never noticed that Nancy is essentially mouthing awkwardly to herself silently as joy goes on and on but trump already admitted on television that he said this to call me to 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 please stop the investigation into michael flynn he said it well what more proof do we need well i think (laughs) the american people need uh solid evidence that's solid well <laughs> that laugh it makes me want to like i want to i want to develop a laugh like that listen to that listen to nancy's laugh well <laughs> i can't do it i can't do it <laughs> it's so california uh sorry no offense californians but it's so californians all right well we haven't heard from uh, maxine i wonder what she's up to i wonder if she's been busy So she's out on the streets uh, doing a speech. A president that disrespects all of our allies in the world. And, of course, this is a big event, and so the Young Turks were there on location, and they had a chance to speak with Maxine after her big speech. I'm going to jump to that since the audio is so bad, although the full clip is in the supporters sing if you want it. Thank you. Um, during a one-week span in March, I looked at your tweets, and around 60% had to do with this Russia issue. Do you think that's a proportionate focus for Democrats? Should, should it be overwhelmingly on this Russia matter? Well, no, and this is it. Uh, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And for people who say, you know, don't do this, don't do this, you just should do that. Let me just say that I consider that protection of our democracy and understanding that Russia is not our friend and that they are undermining. Our she see. So she what? OK, let's back this up because this is what this is. This is important here. Ending. No, a little bit further, a little bit further. That I consider. I consider the. OK, so she. OK, I consider the understanding that Russia is a threat. These are the words that this woman, this representative for California of the third, the 43rd district of California. This woman right here is saying that she understands. I consider. Oh, I'm sorry. I consider the under, that I understand the threat. <laughs> she considers that she understands. That protection of our democracy and understanding that Russia is not our friend and that they are undermining our democracy by hacking into our elections and uh, trying to determine, as they have done, who should be president of the United States. As they have done. The Russians have determined, not the people, not the people, the Russians. And that's very important. At the same time, we fight very hard for health care. We're trying to preserve. 
Oh, oh, MPV, where did you go? We were in the middle of listening to Maxine talk about healthcare fight, and it's just about to get good. I bet you I can bring us right back pretty quick. We're hard for healthcare. Boom. We're trying to preserve the ACA while they're trying to undo it with Trump care that's going to throw 34 million people out of healthcare. And so we know how to do both. 34 we- million now. It's going to, quote, throw 34 million people out of healthcare. Now, the last time I heard that number, it was 22 million, and then it was 24 million, and now, I'm sorry, it's how many? Well, out of how, wait, I'm sorry, wait. And at the same time, we fight very hard for health care. We're trying to preserve the ACA while they're trying to undo it with Trump care that's going to throw 34 million people out, 34. out of health care. Well, I, you know what? I'm one of those. I tell you what. Uh, uh, lordy, lordy, lordy. I tell you what. Shoot. If they, uh, if they took away the mandatory mandate, the uh, – hold on. Let's see if I can – hooey, hooey. If they took away that health care mandate, I absolutely would drop out. I'm poor. And so we know how to do both, and we're doing that. When you say Russia's not our friend, was Obama mistaken to forge military cooperation with Russia in Syria <laughs> and to f- try to get a start treaty? Oh, shit, son. What? A- oh, no. You and I have a different agenda, young man. I'm out to, I'm out to impeach this president. Oh. Get that straight. All right. I'm out to impeach the president. That's right. I'm not going to be diverted by people who are Obama haters. You think? And then she, and then she, and then she mic drops, guys. So she's getting, she's getting yesed and yahawed by by, uh, by the by somebody who's there with her. That's right. And then she walks off. President, I'm not going to be diverted by people who are Obama haters. You think? Say it. Say it. Say it. Say it. There you go. There you go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Maxine Waters, Maxine Waters, she's saying it. She's saying it. She's there to impeach that president. She's saying it. Uh, Pelosi's also saying it. She's talking about something else. She's saying that withdrawing from the Paris Agreement dishonors God. That we had a moral responsibility to be good stewards of God's creation. And in doing so, we must pay special attention to the needs of the poor. Now, here's why this deeply offends me. It is a strategic calculation by Nancy Pelosi's office to make the Democrats more religious because they believe they didn't play well to that demo. The customer sat of the religious demo was low and they voted for Trump. So the Democrats are interweaving religious speech into their talking points to try to position the party as the religious party again. And it's Nancy Pelosi's office, like five-year plan or some crap like this. And this is not the first year of it. This is a, it's been going on now for a little while. And it's disgusting because think of how pandering that is. This woman doesn't have any faith. They're monsters. But they're using your faith to fuck with your head, to get you to think they're on your team. They're with your tribe, not those Republicans. Those Republicans say they're in your tribe, but they actually act against your interests. We are the children of God. Vote for us. And what it betrays is it betrays that the DNC and the established corporatist Democrats think you're so stupid. They think you are so dumb. They think you're so stupid that this is going to work on you. How insulting is that? 
that we had a moral responsibility to be good stewards of God's creation, and in doing so... I have played the clips on this show where she admits that they're going to shift the Democratic Party more religious because it plays well with the flyover states. I've played those clips. They're in the archive of this show. This woman is intentionally manipulating speech to manipulate your feelings. We must pay special attention to the needs of the poor. They think the Republicans have figured this out so well. That's why the Republicans are winning. This is what it is. They're talking to these dumb shits out there. And if you just push these dumb shits buttons, they'll vote for you. You just have to say these words and all of a sudden you get their votes. And well, hell, we're Democrats. We'll do anything for votes. Even drag the country through a bogus Russia investigation. We'll do anything for votes. We'll push your religious buttons. They saw it as an environmental justice issue as well. The evangelical community. Oh, man, this this really offends me. This this woman who is calculating this language. This is so offensive to me. That we had a moral responsibility to be good stewards of God's creation. And in doing so... We must pay special attention to the needs of the poor. They saw it as an environmental justice issue as well, the evangelical community. When the Pope went to the White House, he talked about the dangers of air pollution when he was here. So you get you get it. You get it. Everybody's using the Paris Accord for their political gain. We're all going to die. The United States will withdraw from the Paris... Climate Accord. We are all going to die. And we all joke about him destroying the world, but this could be it. That means record heat, more drought in some places. We could see the seas uh, continue to rise. Their kids will have worse asthma. Torrential rains and floods in other places. We could see flooding in major cities. They will have a harder time having economic growth. Sea level rising, drowning coastal areas. Deadlier heat waves would be more uh, abundant. With droughts and, and floods. Coal sludge back into rivers and lakes. You see droughts, wildfires. How tens of thousands of people die annually. Mass extinction in the natural world. This was a fault on the part of Donald Trump oh. against humanity. <laughs> sea level rise is happening. That's a scientific fact. And then this man is wrecking the planet. Low-lying countries such as the Marshall Islands would disappear entirely. The world will be a mess. Donald Trump may have doomed the planet. about overreactions want to talk about kathy griffin real quick i feel like i had to put this in here because you guys would would call me out if i didn't address it don't really think it's too much news so i figured what we'll do is just play a couple of clips and then we'll move on uh if if you need a refresher well i envy you across the nation. Just a warning for you parents at home. If you have kids, this photo we're about to show is graphic. It's the Kathy Griffin thing. The comedian posting that picture right there, a bloody head resembling our president. Now CNN sponsors venues all across America. They're cutting ties with this comedian. Kathy Griffin has since apologized, but was it sincere? You be the judge. Take a look. 
I sincerely apologize. I am just now seeing the reaction of these images. I'm a comic. I crossed the line. I moved the line. Then I crossed it. I went way too far. The image is too disturbing. I understand how it offends people. It wasn't funny. I get it. I'm going to ask the photographer to take down the image. And I beg for your forgiveness. I went too far. I made a mistake. And I was wrong. What do you think? Did she go too far? And what should happen to her? Here to debate this is Republican strategist and Fox News contributor Lisa Booth and radio talk show host and comedian Ben Kissel. Thank you both for being being Hi, here with Ainsley. us. Hi. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry. My brain tried to escape from my head there for a second. Can't can't do the panel. Can't do the panel. Uh, there was one moment in this whole controversy that I thought was was very precious. The moment when Kathy Griffin became the victim. I don't know. That's better. That's all. Tearful and defiant, comedian Kathy Griffin now says she is the victim. Absolutely. I don't think I will have a career after this. I think he, I think he, I think he, I'm going to be honest, he broke me. Oh. He broke me. Yeah. The 56-year-old speaking about the president. Um, This is fake one, just so you know. Just days after apologizing for this photo shoot in which she held a bloody likeness of President Donald Trump's head. The images went viral. Griffin apologized. I went too far. I made a mistake, and I was wrong. But faced a wave of criticism. Her contract with CNN terminated, five shows canceled. And now, she says, a barrage of threats. This is America, and you shouldn't have to die for it. The death threats that I'm getting are constant and they are detailed and they are serious and they are specific. Hmm, it was really stupid. Everybody heard about uh, this is another story. This is a story I put in the same category as Kathy Griffin. Is this uh, Trump uh, typo tweet, confefe or whatever it was? Not really much there to this story, I don't think. But there are a couple of funny things around it. Maybe my favorite moment is when Sean Spicer tried to imply that it actually meant something and the press erupted. Now, I only have audio of it because it wasn't a video presser but uh, you got it you got to hear this review before he makes that decision uh that'll obviously be up to the president to decide hunter thank you sean uh, do you think people should be concerned um that the president posted somewhat of an incoherent tweet last night and that it then stayed up for hours uh no why did it stay up so long is, is no one watching this no i i think the the uh, the president and a small group of people know exactly what he meant. Blake. What does it mean? What is Blake. What does it mean? What is Blake. All right, so we'll stop there. They try to move on. Uh, that was sort of funny, just that, that whole exchange. Um, and then there was another moment recently with Spicer that was also very awkward. When he was asked if uh, by uh, CBS's uh, Major Garrett, I I think this was, if uh, the president has faith or I guess confidence in Sessions. 
which is Article 5. Last question. How would you describe the president's level of confidence in the attorney general, Jeff Sessions? I have not had a discussion with him about that. Hmm. Now, if he asked that same question about somebody else on Trump's in somebody else in somebody else's Trump on somebody else's like I was trying to think maybe like a Bannon or Kushner like I was trying to think like I bet you he would just say yes wouldn't he wouldn't he just say yes he has confidence it seems like that would be the default answer when talking about one of the one of the president's guys which is Article Five last question how would you describe the president's level of confidence in the Attorney General Jeff Sessions I have not had a discussion with him about that okay, last time you said that there, there was a development last time, you- last time you said that there was a development this is they're digging for drama but. The, the reason he's asking, the context of this question is that there was a report that they had a shouting match and that Trump's pissed at Sessions. At Sessions even offered his resignation. Trump refused it, but they're fighting. That's the context of this question. I, you, I'm asking I'm, – I'm answering a question, which is I have not had that discussion with him. So you can't you say he has confidence as attorney general? I said I have not had a discussion with him on the question. I don't – if I haven't had a discussion with them about a subject, I tend not to speak about it. Sean, the Chinese government's rejected a call. There we go. So uh, there's sort of an awkward moment that happened with Trump. Uh, so producer Matt says we should go back and uh, do one more clip on the Paris Accord. And uh, who am I to disagree with producer Matt? So here you go. PBS NewsHour on why President Trump's withdrawal from the uh, Paris Accord makes a good case. Make the best case why he should leave Paris. Well, I think the key point to understand is that the Paris Treaty has no discernible impact on global average temperature, and therefore the alleged climate benefits are illusory. This is an agreement that if every country met its obligations, according to the conventional EPA model, would reduce global average temperature less than two-tenths of a degree in the year 2100. But of course, these countries are mostly not meeting their obligations. We just heard from Germany, their emissions are up in each of the last two years. The Philippines have already withdrawn from this agreement, and India, which is allowed to increase emissions under this agreement is building too many coal plants to even meet their target. They're going to go well above it. The U.S. commitment would only avert an increase in temperature of about 15 thousandths of a degree by the year 2100. So there's really not much upside here, but there's tremendous downside because this agreement locks in those EPA regulations you were just talking about in the introduction, the Clean Power Plan, which increased electricity prices about 20 to 30 percent. That has a very negative impact on consumers across this country with no benefit to show for it. And it also commits the American taxpayer to pay the lion's share of the $100 billion per year Green Climate Fund, a direct wealth transfer to the rest of the world. And so I think the reason the rest of the world likes this deal so much is that the United (laughs) States cripples itself economically uh, with regulations, and then it pays the rest of the world for the privilege of doing so in increased foreign aid. To me, that's not leadership. That's American losership. And uh, the (laughs) president is right to... All right, shut him up. Shut him up. Shut that guy up. Shut him the hell up. He can't say that on the air. (laughs) Thank you, Producer Matt. Coming in on the back channel for that one. kind of serious actually let's do two more kind of serious things here we got i got a couple of things i want to share with you guys there was a little bit of extra from the putin interview that didn't fit in the main show that i thought would be worth playing here and that was when a question came uh, came up from megan kelly to putin about protecting assad and if you parse what putin says back to her he essentially says we're not protecting assad 
were preventing Syria from becoming the next Libya. Shifting gears to Syria, our president has said that you're backing an evil guy there. He said Assad is an evil guy. Do you believe that? Now, so Putin is the delay here is because there's, you know, obviously translations happening back and forth. But I happen to believe just witnessing Putin in like uh, uh, like at G20 or you know, at summits and like he speaks a certain amount of English. Um, so he seems to remove the earpiece before the translation is finished and clarifies a couple things and begins answering. It's kind of interesting to watch the body language here. What? Um, believe in what? That Assad is an evil man? Yes. An evil guy. Uh, You've got to ask the other leaders who have communicated with Assad. It was more often in Europe after being elected than in Russia. That is an interesting statement. Assad was more often in Europe than he was in Syria after his election. He's he he speaks English very well. I mean, if you look look at the interviews, he's. He seems like a westernized person. It is not President Assad whom we are protecting there. We are protecting the Syrian statehood. We don't want there in Syria to be a situation similar to that in Libya or in Somalia or in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, NATO has been present for many years, but the situation is not changing for the better. We want to preserve the Syrian statehood. And I imagine that's part of it. They also are longtime allies. That's probably part of it, too. We haven't played Cucker very much, Cucker Tuckerson, and I want to play this where uh, he takes the whole Russia issue and he flips it around in a, in a framing that I think we should start talking about it more. We need to start parsing the difference between the investigation into Michael Flynn and him working with RT and how he disclosed that and collusion with Trump himself or the Trump campaign. These are separate things. And then, so I, I see those as two issues. And then as I see as a third Russia-related issue was the extent of their involvement in hacking the DNC. And then I see a fourth Russia issue with the extent of their involvement in screwing around with state voting systems like in Florida and going after uh, the uh, electronic voting organization. Those are separate, I think, and distinct issues and investigations. The one regarding the DNC and the Russians fishing John Podesta, weaponizing his emails and coordinating with WikiLeaks and some sort of data intelligence to how to target and when to release those emails, that, to me, is a conspiracy theory. It is an unproven, made-up, concocted conspiracy theory started by the losing presidential campaign. And I think we should all be framing it as a conspiracy theory. It is literally the definite. The theory goes that there was conspiring amongst the Trump campaign to target data, Russians, and WikiLeaks. 
It is literally the definition of a conspiracy. It is a conspiracy theory, and we should be talking about it as such. Fashion statement by adopting the left's trendiest new accessory, a tinfoil hat. While taking questions at a tech conference in California today, Clinton dismissed the scandal over her private email server as a non-issue of zero importance. My email account was uh, turned into, you know, the biggest scandal since Lord knows when. This was the biggest nothing burger ever. It was a mistake. I've said it was a mistake. And obviously, if I got turned the clock back, I wouldn't have done it in the first place. But the way that it was used uh, was very damaging. It meant nothing. It was totally irrelevant, which does raise the question, if it didn't mean anything, why did it hurt her campaign so much? She had an explanation for that, too. She said because the right wingers in the media, the Washington Post, the New York Times, wouldn't let it go. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. I know you had Dean Bacay here from the New York Times uh, yesterday, and they covered it like it was Pearl Harbor. And then in their endorsement of me, they said, this email thing, it's like a help desk issue. So it was always a hard issue to put to bed, but we put it to bed in The emails showed collaboration between your campaign and CNN to give you a heads up of the questions coming during town hall. The email releases showed and demonstrated, col- uh, I guess I shouldn't, shouldn't say collaboration or, or, because that sounds like, um, what would be the right word? The emails showed and demonstrated conspiring within the DNC to make sure that Hillary won over Bernie Sanders, led to the firing of the leadership of the DNC, including your good friend, Hillary, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. I'm sure you forgot all of this, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to remind you of all of this. And then Judicial Watch's emails that, were they, that they released via freedom of information requests and lawsuits to the State Department showed you forwarding emails saying, please remove the classified headers and print this out at home. They showed emails where you talked about fooling people about it being a YouTube video. They show emails of you talking to your daughter about it not being related to a YouTube video. Hillary, Hillary, (laughs) these are facts. These are not made up news by bots in some in Bangalore or in, in, in Afghanistan or Syria or Iran. These are the things in your inbox that were published via Judicial Watch. John Podesta's phishing and leaking of the DNC emails via Seth Rich. These were massive scandals. July, and then it rose up again. Okay, so the New York Times is biased against Democrats. A novel defense, you say? Oh, but it got weirder from there, a lot weirder. Hillary went on to deliver a narrative so complex we could barely, very, barely follow it, but we did. She explained how Donald Trump and Russia teamed up to rob her of her rightful job as president of the United States. How did they know what messages to deliver? Who told who told them? Yeah. Now, this point, the reason I, I played this last week and I'm playing it right now for a very important reason. I have seen a doubling down on that messaging by the media themselves, commentators, pundits, whatever they're called, panelists. It depends on the network. They're asking these questions. How did WikiLeaks, how did they know what emails to release? How did the Russians, because the Russians don't understand us in the West. How could they possibly have known which emails and where to release them for the maximum impact? You can't do that. 
You can't just understand the people like that. Trust me, I'm Hillary Clinton. I've been running campaigns for years. You need surveys. You need campaign staff. You need data. You need trend analysis. You need demographics. You need help from Google. You can't just intuit your way through something like this. Where does the data come from? Because I'm Hillary Clinton, and I don't understand the people. I need the data in order to make decisions. You can't just make decisions without the data. How did they know what messages to deliver? How did they know what messages to deliver? Who told Who told them? And Kara just uh, go ahead and offers that up. Who told them? Go, go ahead, help them. And Walt, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who were they coordinating with or colluding with? Colluding with. Well, I got, I got, a, I got, a, I got a theory. I got a theory on that. I'll tell you how they knew which messages to release. Because they is Julian fucking Assange, and he hates you. He hates you, and he's followed the news, and he's followed you and your horrible career, your lackluster career. He hates you, and he didn't want you to win the election. So he knew exactly what emails to release to screw you the hardest. And he scheduled them to be released in batches over a period of like 90 days. In fact, I groused about it on air that Julian Assange was being a showboat. Instead of just dumping everything, he was carefully and very timed releasing them in batches because he hates you. Because you're a horrible person and he hates you. And that's why he did it. It wasn't because the Russians were coordinating with the Trump campaign and using their massive Republican database that Mitt Romney set up using Orca. It's, it's so convoluted. It's stupid. It's so convoluted. It is, it is ridiculous. It's simply Julian Assange runs WikiLeaks and he hates you. It's that easy. And he knew which emails to release because it's obvious which ones are damaging. It's obvious. The emails speak for themselves. You read the emails and it's obvious which ones to release. It doesn't require a massive data network. It doesn't require collusion with the Trump campaign. It doesn't require hacking John Podesta and coordinating that to play 4D chess to know when Donald Trump gets the final general election. They can then timely release this via their WikiLeaks. That's ridiculous. Podesta was hacked before Trump won the general election. Full stop. I want to say it again. John Podesta was fished before Donald Trump won the general election. What does that tell you? There was no motive to give Trump an advantage so that way the Kremlin candidate could make it in because he wasn't the candidate yet. He wasn't the candidate yet when this went down. Your corruption is what led to this. People within your own organizations discovered your corruption and it led to this. People were so disturbed by what they saw, it led to this. One of those people was Seth Rich, which caused quite a stir when we talked about him last week. And I don't really have any updates. All conversation and discussion has been completely shut down, and there's so much going on, such a, such a circus these days in the news, that nobody's really looking for things to talk about. But I found a clip from a while ago, and I want to play it in this show because I have a sense it's going to be taken down soon. There are several theories as to what happened to Seth Rich, and I don't – I'm not going to sit here and tell you what happened. It may have been a robbery. I doubt it. It seems very unlikely. But Seth Rich was involved with election data, working for the DNC. He was a big Bernie supporter, also loved pandas. <laughs> and I found a clip that I think shows you where Seth's mind was at. And I don't have the date. I would love it if anybody could help me find the date on this. I just found it right before the show started. 
And it's spooky because we're about to hear from a man who is soon to be murdered, and he may have been on the very trail that led to his death. This is an election commission, and they're having hearings, and it's in uh, 2015, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, Excuse me, Seth Rich with the DNC. And this is the voice of Seth Rich. I think several of you have spoken about provisional ballots and rejected ballots. You can tell he's nervous, he's passionate, and he's worried about something. He's got, a, he's got like a lump in his throat, he's got a shake in his voice, but he has something on his mind. I think several of you have spoken about provisional ballots and rejected ballots. I guess we've looked at as an outside practitioner with a vested interest in training our, vo- our voters how do we get better access to data that tells us why ballots are rejected, why ballots are cast as provisional, so that we can analyze that and then develop better training guides? Can one of the election officials speak to any work you've done with either the parties or other groups on, on that type of information? And they really don't have anything uh, particularly interesting to add to this. But I'll leave the entire clip in the supporters think of you on. They just kind of go on and on. I just thought it was interesting to hear from Seth, hear his voice, and seeing that in 2015, this is something he was passionate about. Now, this next clip I'm going to play uh, has got Philip DeFranco demonetized. It's been pulled down several times on YouTube. It was trending for a short period before it was pulled off of the trending page. I don't really, I don't find it to be that shocking of a clip, but there is some attempt to shut it up at least. And uh, you've probably seen it because it, it did make the rounds. Uh, this is a, I've corrected the angle on this clip, so it's it's not vertically screwed like it has been in probably the version you've seen. This is CNN staging a scene before they go on the air to talk about protests. Now, I want, I want to give you the context of this clip before I play it for you. And I do, I do apologize, audio folks. It is, it is inherently visual. I'll try to walk you through it, though. Um, so this is, this is in London where the protesters are not allowed to go. But the visuals, the optics of this particular spot are great. So CNN stages it to make it look like a lot of protesters are here when prote- when they've hand-selected the protesters and arranged them carefully. So what we have here is uh, two officers have just walked off set and two almost stunt-like officers have walked onto the set. There's a uh, line that, like a media line, that everybody has to stay behind. The anchor who's about to give the report is watching. They've uh, they've begin bringing people out to this uh, raised center on the street. They're telling the protesters where to hold the signs, so that way the signs are in the camera shot. Now, as the clip goes on, they begin to position more and more protesters out there in just the right spot. The anchor even has the protesters move in so that way everybody can uh, fit in the frame. She instructs them, move in a little bit for me. Could you just move in a bit for me so that way everybody's in the frame? 
And they bring in a few more protesters. They set up the lights. They get everything staged. Uh, and then here they have they have everybody getting a little tighter to make it look more like a crowded group. And now she begins the live report, saying she's reporting live here, reading the protest signs. <laughs> People are laughing because it's obviously staged. Now this has been getting a lot of traction because uh, when the BBC reported in the same spot, they just set up and did the report. They didn't do all of the staging, but CNN... CNN wanted a scene. They wanted something really powerful. And then when the reporting's done, everybody just kind of breaks down and uh, all the protesters go back away and it all just disappears. Like it never, it never existed. What do you make of that? Is that, I ask you, let, let me know in the comments if you watch this far. Is that just the news trying to give the viewer the best impression of the situation? Or is it staging the situation to look more intense than it naturally is. Here's my take on it. The moment the news gets involved, they've tainted the evidence. They've tainted the scene. They're not reporting. They're not objectively viewing the moment. They're crafting a narrative. They're constructing the moment, not reporting on the moment. So in my take... While I don't necessarily attribute malice to the move, I still disagree with it being done. That's how I see it. All right. One last clip to go out on. But guys, there's a lot more in the supporter sink. A lot more. But this is great. This is footage of Senator Ted Cruz being forced off stage at the Faith and Freedom Conference. And it's so awkwardly delicious. So what I want to say to the men and women here is two things. Number one, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank yeah. you for your prayers. Yeah. Thank you for your passion. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you for your energy. Thank you for speaking out and working to retake our nation. So I don't know if he's out there killing time or if he ran over. But the next thing that happens is it's so great because they start playing up music. They introduce the next person and they cut Ted's mic. In fact, Ted tries to say goodbye to the crowd, but they ain't having it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage. And Ted's like, what, what? And his mic at this point is off. Southern Regional Director of Faith and Freedom Coalition, Virginia Galloway. He just kind of puts his arms out like, um, uh, well, I guess that's it for me, everybody. And she just kind of looks back and laughs and even kind of points at him. So good, guys. If you have this thing, you got to grab that clip for posterity. It's so good. He just kind of awkwardly shouts, thank you, and walks off the stage. I guess they needed to shut him down or somebody's not a big Ted Cruz fan. Just for posterity, one more time. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your energy. Thank you. Thank you for speaking out and working to retake our nation. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage the Southern Regional Director of Faith and Freedom Coalition, Virginia Galloway. There you go. (laughs) That's awkward as hell. (laughs) 
It's so good. It's so good. What you been up to, Ted? How's it going, Ted? <laughs> Have a good one, Ted. Thanks for coming. It's been a rough year for you, buddy. <laughs> oh, God, it's been a rough year for Ted. I think he's going to kill himself. It's rough, man. All right, thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting us at patreon.com slash unfiltered. Unfiltered. It runs on you. I'm sorry, what? What? Don't say that. Well, okay. Okay. Unfiltered. It's powered by you. What? Somebody else has trademarked that? Okay. Unfiltered. It's made of people. What? Can't use... Damn it, dude. All right, well, just go to patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thanks for being here. I think we're going to be back uh, at our regular Wednesday time slot next week. Peace and long life and live long and prosper. OMG, OMG, OMG. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. That's how we go. That's how we roll. OMG, OMG, OMG.